Nothing going on this August. I don't know. It's like the worst DC Universe movie ever, and I'm just afraid of what the Snyder Cut's going to be. <laughs> What's going on with that thing? That's that's crazy, right? Is that nuts? I, I'm only following that loosely, and it's like... I have, I'm like the rare person, like, and I think that this is going to be the theme of the episode is that we're going to talk about a lot of things that have very polarizing opinions. Yeah. And Zack Snyder seems to be a very polarizing filmmaker. And my take on Zack Snyder is sort of in the middle. Like, I feel like I'm yeah. like the one fan of superhero movies who's like, I guess I mostly like him, but I kind of see why, you know, he's yes. polarizing. No, I, I think to me it highlights exactly what you said, except. Uh, everybody can be wrong is my takeaway. I think Twitter hates the idea that multiple people can be right and or wrong. They want right. clear cut, you know, sides on everything. But I think Justice League was a bad movie, and I think the Snyder Cut is going to be a bad movie. I can't remember. I honestly, God, this is the truth. I can't remember if I watched Justice League. <laughs> <laughs> like I liked the Superman movie. I didn't love it. I don't. Still don't think. I still think that the only good Superman movie ever made was Richard Donner's original yes. Superman. Still yep. think it was the only one, uh, but I kind of liked moments of Zack Snyder's, and you know, and it's like what a bold move, just doing away with the theme music and going with a new one, and it worked for me. And I, you know, kind of liked the, the feel of it, which to me is often a lot more important. But then you know, it stuff falls apart. So anyway, the whole thing with the the Zack Snyder cut of the movie is that. Uh, He's making Justice League a couple years ago. Something happens in his personal life. I, I don't. I, I don't even well, mean to get Well, it was two things. In. There was like a DC, the DC brass decided they didn't want him doing this anymore because his previous movies were doing so badly. Both, you know, not in terms of box office, but in terms of public reaction. And then his father passed away, and they sort of used that as a way to move him aside in the middle Joss of production. Who made the X Avengers? Right, but that's in the middle of production. Yes. Right. Yeah. Or maybe more than past the middle of production. Yes. It was before the reshoots. Right. And Joss Whedon isn't just a director. If anything, he's better known as a writer. I mean, he's a filmmaker. Yeah. I don't mean to I don't mean to take away from his skills as a director too, and he's obviously helmed as director some inordinately beloved and popular movies, but he is a writer, so you know that he's not going to he's not at somebody who's just going to come in and say, okay, give me the script. I'll start, yeah. I'll just pick it up, you know, <laughs> and, yeah. you know, perhaps contributed to it being a, a, a mismatch, mishmash. Yeah. And now the cast are coming forward and just saying he was terrible and the producers were terrible and the whole thing was a giant mess. So right. on the one Absolutely. end, I do want to, you know, you judge the final work, right? That you should be able to ignore all of the backstory, not even pay yeah. attention. And then the movie comes out. And I was going to say, you, you take your seat and let the film start, but let, nobody does that anymore, right? We, li we literally can't. You hit play, you watch <laughs> the movie, and then you can make an opinion. But but there's some backstory stories that uh, are just petty politics and yeah. gossip and you know people getting their digs in. And then there's some where it's like, well, this sounds like it's impossible for a coherent movie to come out of it. Yes. And then you watch it and it's like, yep, there is no way a coherent movie could come out of that. And for example, I'm thinking of Solo, which was a disaster behind the scenes. And that's not even like gossip. That was just like just flat out, we have to, Disney, we have to say, we fired these guys, we hired Ron Howard, we're 
probably never should have made this movie in the first place. I think Disney said that. Yeah. <laughs> and then the yeah. movie came out and it was, it was horrendous. It was, I don't know if you saw it, but there was this movie came out on Disney plus it, it I, I believe it averted the cinema is called Arlo Finch. No, uh, oh, I, I'm just, I, so it's not Arlo Finch. I'm sorry. It, it's Artemis Fowl, not, Artemis not Arlo Fowl. Finch. And it was hugely controversial for not being a, like the book. The book is basically like Harry Potter, but Harry Potter is a super villain. Mm. And towards the end of it, you start to see some redeeming qualities. And that was the actual movie they made. But then they, when they realized they were putting it on streaming, they knew they couldn't just put it up like that. Because in a movie theater, you pay your money up front and you're, you're forced to put up with the movie until the end. And they figured that gave them time to redeem the character. But on uh, streaming, if the kid was unlikable in the beginning, people would just click off immediately. So they redid the entire first half of the movie by overdubbing um, by overdubbing dialogue over scenes where you can't see anyone talking. Uh, so through the entire first half of the movie, you almost never see anyone say anything on screen. Yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting story. That is interesting that you kind of have to write uh, streaming stuff in a different way, right? Yeah. Uh, anyway, we shouldn't be talking about any of this. We have too much, no. <laughs> too much to go on. So uh, there's a bit of news breaking, at least for me. I guess it's 24 hours old. I don't know. But the Apple's changing the name of Beats 1. Yeah, They're kind of finally getting away from the Beats. Is there anything left Beats branded other than their Beats headphones? No, I think that's it. There's just a few headphones left. So what do we? So the the gist is that the until recently or until yesterday, the big station on Apple Music was Beats One, uh, yeah. and now they're renaming it Apple Music One. Is that the new name? Yeah, which is uh, odd because when they meant when they said Beats One originally, a lot of us thought that meant there was going to be a Beats Two and a Beats mm-hmm. Three, like BBC One, BBC Two, fairly quickly. But it's been four years, and and this is only the beginning of it. Yeah, but I wonder if that's why they're doing this now. I don't know. Maybe that's yeah. still. Um, when they bought Beats, uh, 2013, I, I want Something to say, like which is all of a sudden seems like a long time ago. Uh, they had, they got two things. They got a big profitable headphone business and they got a streaming music service that yeah. they parlayed into, uh, what we now call Apple music. I always thought and still think that they bought it primarily for the streaming thing and in both in terms of a sort of, and I don't know how much of this was sort of a licensing coup where um, like the record labels who grew suspicious of Apple because in 2001, 2002, when Apple launched the iTunes music store, I'm not going to say they hoodwinked the music labels, but they, you know, which sounds like they, they, they misdirected them, but the, the music labels underestimated Apple. Because Apple yeah. negotiated terms that would have allowed them to sell these mu- the music everywhere, and the music labels just wrongfully assumed, well, they've got this iPod thing, but it only works on the Mac, and the Mac is a niche market with like under 5% market share. So why not experiment with Apple? At the most, this will ever be 5% of the market if everybody on a Mac buys music through it, which probably won't happen. So it'll be less than 5%. And instead, you know, <laughs> the iPod became a little bit more yep. popular than that. Um, <laughs> but anyway, Apple's then, you know, growing influence in the music industry led them to be gro- viewed with suspicion, rightfully so, right? Like, well, let's be careful negotiating with Apple. So I've always thought Apple 
wanted to start their streaming music service by buying beats or maybe somebody else so that they could get a leg in and say, well, maybe you didn't want to negotiate with us, but you negotiated with them and we can buy them. And so now we've bought them and now we have these licensing deals that were already in place. I don't know how much of that is true. I just assume it is to some degree. I've always heard that the licensing deals in many, I don't know for the specific one, but in many cases are broken when they're sold or they at least have to be renegotiated. I don't know. I think they also just really like Jimmy Iovine and his relationships and his vision for curated music because it was very anti- algorithm and right. that seemed to really appeal to Apple at a deep level. Right, and that's where I was going next was that even if those deals were severed or severable or expired, which yeah. at this point again, if if it's 6 7 years since it happened, probably did that they wanted Jimmy Iovine on their side to negotiate, he had great relationships with them and again his whole that whole sort of DJ slash producer's ear yes. towards, um, uh, you know, uh, collecting the music, whatever. Yeah, just and talent. Right. And it's interesting because they, they've had Beats 1 for a while now, and they're launching Beats hits, not Beats hits, sorry, Apple Music hits and Apple Music country. And they seem to feel like they already have a lock on the hip-hop market, or not a lock, but a huge share uh, or a huge uh, community around the hip hop market, but that's very modern hits or neck or what's tomorrow's hits driven. And the hits channel is going to focus on music hits from the six on the seventies, eight, sorry, eighties, nine, eighties, nineties, and two thousands. And country is going to be based in Nashville and focusing on a very different music scene for them. Hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I guess that's just the nature of the game. What do you think about what's the deal now with beats headphones? Do you think that that just continues? Or do you think that this does this make does this raise your spidey sense to make you think maybe the Beats brand is no more or or on the way out the door? Yeah, I mean there there were a couple rumors about that. I think John Prosser published something a while back saying that they were actively deprecating it. But if just if you look at the evidence that we have, they're replacing more and more of the Beats line with AirPods branded devices, and AirPods branded devices are far more popular than any of the Beats branded devices. And I think initially they liked the Beats brand because it had a very good demographic for them. They were very, they were popular, culturally significant. They were selling a lot, but then AirPods came along and they're, I don't know what else to say it, but they're meme worthy. They've just Mm -hmm. become an entire subculture and that has greater value than I think them keeping the Beats label around. And if rumors of new over the ear and around the ear uh, AirPods are true, then it seems useless to keep beats around. Yeah. And there's always, there's a part of me too, that always thought, and I think it's almost certainly true um, that to some degree, the beat brand was inherently Apple like in that it was a very brand first polarizing yeah, thing and that was sold at a premium. You know that it was you know yeah. you know juicy profit margins, uh, devoted fans. You know that that people who got into Beats, you know, were if they lost their headphones or wanted a new pair, they were going to buy another pair of Beats. You know, it's that they start by saying, you know, what Beats should I buy, as opposed to which headphones should I buy, which is you know Apple like fundamentally. Um, but it's just weird for Apple to have a subsidiary like that, right? It's just not something yeah. they do. They're not a conglomerate that owns a bunch of sub-brands. They're, just like FileMaker and this. 
Right. And even FileMaker, you know, a FileMaker as an independent company is truly ancient history by anyone's yes. standards of this industry, right? I mean, you'd have to talk about other industries to to yeah. to not qualify that as ancient history. And even then there's a certain very Appleiness to the FileMaker brand, right? They for a long yeah. time they even had a website that sort of just looked like the Apple website. Yeah. Um it's you know, and and again, if you go around and just p- poll a thousand people, and how many of them have heard of Beats headphones, and how many of them have heard of FileMaker, uh, yeah, you know, in the general public, you might get a very decided split. If you talk to people who are listening to me and you right now on this show, yeah, sure, they've heard of FileMaker, <laughs> but even there, I mean, how many people do you know who are still using FileMaker on a regular yeah, basis? No, I'm not saying it's obscure, but it's just sort of you know. Uh, legacy in a sense, legacy, but still going strong. Yeah. You know, it's the not like- thing with Beats for me is that they've always done things that I think is beyond what Apple would do. Like they have headphones in every Olympic team color, yeah, or Mickey yeah. Mouse branded headphones, which are deals yep. I don't see Apple making with AirPods. Yeah, totally. And it gets them. It also, I think, gets them a certain segment of the market who, you know, let's just face it, like on a mobile sense, probably has an Android phone. Wouldn't buy. Yeah. Wouldn't buy an an Apple pair of headphones even if it worked it was advertised as working with android um and would buy beats and so it is you know it's a but but on the whole i just don't see it as going away and i kind of think the vague you know not that there's a specific whiteboard somewhere at apple where here's the plan to get rid of beats but as a sort of loosely held notion the cooler the AirPods brand gets and the more products that fall within the AirPods brand, I mean, we're up to two, but supposedly at least a third, you know, the the big yeah. new one, the over-the-ears type thing, um, you know, has been rumored for a long time. And, and you X, know, the sports ones. Right. So two two holes in the market for AirPods. So we've got regular ones. You've got the AirPods Pro, which are noise canceling, but the same basic idea as regular AirPods. So the two holes would be the over-the-ear type and the uh, sports ones. Yeah. Right. And you know, somewhere Marco's listening to this, and me qualifying the entire concept of over-the-ears headphones as one category. <laughs> No, and it's for me, it's just saying like AirPods X because I, I try to say this with the processors. I was trying to say A12X yesterday and I kept saying A1210. Yeah. And Apple's destroyed any ability for me to distinguish what that symbol means at any given time. <laughs> it's very true. Uh, yeah, at least Microsoft's very consistent. They use a lot of X's, but they're always yeah. X's. Although I guess, always. what did, uh, no, Windows 10 is a, is a one zero. Yeah. Yeah. Blessed one zero. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I think that beats probably aren't going away, but they're fading away. Yes. So I think, um, all right, let me take a break before we dig into the meat of the show and thank our first sponsor. It's our good friends. Oh, our old friends at Squarespace. Hey, I'm Ted. I keep saying it over and over again. And it's like this whole year for better, for worse, not even getting to the worst, but just the basic notion of it, it's it's Groundhog Day year, right? It, effectively, if there's ever been a year where you can make New Year's resolutions in August, this 2020 is it. We all have a lot more time on our hands. I'm telling you, if you one of the things on your list, your list of like, hey, stuff I should do while I'm mostly at home, still stuck in quarantine, if one of them is to make a new website or update an old website or help somebody else get their self started with a website, 
Take a look at Squarespace first. Squarespace, all in one. Everything from domain name registration to picking a template to modifying the template to picking which sort of components you want on a website. Like, is it a blog? Is it going to host a podcast? Is it a storefront where you want to uh, have a catalog of items and sell stuff? Uh, you could do all that stuff on Squarespace. You could do it all on one website. You could do it just one of them. You could uh, host a menu. Just about every restaurant, every small mom and pop restaurant I know, you go view source, look at the source of the web page. Guess where it's hosted? Squarespace, because it lets you worry about your stuff without worrying about all the stuff that you don't need to worry about because you're not a web professional. Software updates, server stuff like that, you don't have to worry about it. But all the stuff you do want, like control over the website, what it looks like, uh, the analytics, seeing who's using the website, where they're coming from, where the traffic's coming from. They have a great, great analytics dashboard. So next time you need a website or someone you know comes to you because you're a nerd and they want you to help get them a website, send them to Squarespace. I'm telling you, you won't regret it. You get a free trial, 30 days. After that, if you use the code TALKSHOW, uh, you'll save 10% on your first purchase. And you can get started by going to squarespace.com slash TALKSHOW. Squarespace.com slash talk show and that same code talk show when you sign up gets you 10% off your first purchase. Uh, I thought I would have thought uh, that uh, Phil Schiller stepping aside, stepping up, uh, advancing in Apple's verbiage to an Apple fellow, that would be a whole show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> something we got to get out of the way. John. <laughs> we got to get out of the way quickly. Uh, he's, uh, he's long time. I don't even know. They don't even say how long he's been the senior vice president of worldwide marketing. That's his title. Now it used to be worldwide product marketing. I don't know when they lost the product, but it's the same job. I think when Jaws became VP of product marketing, mm, maybe, uh, I'm not quite sure what that means, but like a lot of companies, it probably means something inside Apple, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, Head of product, <laughs> Uh, what does it mean? Is he one foot out the door? Is this just the graceful, easy way of Phil Schiller heading into retirement? Or is he really going to be around for years to come with the app store and events still on his plate? Uh, we don't know. I don't know. No. Uh, Phil Schiller probably does know, <laughs> but they're not going to I mean, say. Mansfield tried to get out and they brought him back in. So do right. you ever really know? Uh, I thought that like, I don't, I think that in certain terms of being well known by people who follow the company, Schiller's up there at the top of the list. Uh, you know, not probably not quite, certainly nobody's up there with Steve Jobs. Nobody anymore is up there with Tim Cook. He's the CEO. He is the face of the company, rightly so. Johnny Ive, unique, um, I, you know, Schiller is next on that list. I think without question, I, I would say fourth. Yeah. You know, fourth on the list. Uh, I think he when did Johnny, the iPhone intros for years, that's yeah. one of the most popular visible positions to do. Uh, every time well, there, there were a couple of years where uh, early on, you know, where Steve yeah. Jobs was out on medical leave. Um, I believe the three GS. Yes. yes, yes, the 3GS. So the third iPhone. Uh, which was still introduced at WWDC. Yeah, um, Schiller took the took the job. So there was a while where every single iPhone 
In fact, maybe still to some degree that's true, that every single iPhone has either been introduced on stage by Steve Jobs or Phil Schiller. Yeah, uh, Cayenne did the 11 last year. Right. I think that's the first variant, Cayenne Drance, the vice right. president, not new vice president of iPhone marketing. Right. Oh, so she's got the, uh, she took Jaws' old title. Is that true? I didn't know that. So Jaws was VP of product marketing, and he he had a bunch of VPs under him. Like Stan Ng was vice president of Apple Watch right. marketing, Cayenne's vice president of iPhone marketing. Right. Um, so I think they just have their own divisions now. Yeah, I, and I guess that the sort of basic idea of who introduced the new iPhone each year is sort of stale anyway because yeah. the product line has expanded. You know, And what is the main iPhone? Is it the iPhone 11 or is it the iPhone 11 Pro? Right. Yeah. The Pro is obviously the one that's the hero in the lineup, but the iPhone 11 is the one that's the actually the better product for most people and the best-selling one. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah. uh, you know, I think just Schiller loved the cameras so much too. And the 11 Pro was all mostly yeah. about the cameras. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was the first one to have three. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 and the sweater mode. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Sweater mode. Uh, yeah. I don't want to, because, you know, and it's weird. It's, you know, I don't know what you call it. We have a word when somebody dies, call it a eulogy. Um, yeah. I don't know what you call it when somebody retires, you know, but it's weird. I don't feel like, I honestly don't feel like it's time to talk about Phil Schiller in the past tense. Uh, I really don't, especially with, and you know, I don't know, I don't know if you looked at the show notes I have here for the rest of this yeah. podcast. The app store is going, we are going to mention it once or twice. Yeah. It's not exactly like his limited plate of or limited selection of things still on his plate are, are obscure no. you know well the thing is that the senior vice presidents at apple are all overloaded they would all be presidents if not ceos of their own companies those right. divisions are huge and if you look at eddie's desk or phil's desk previously the um, the sheer quantity of things they had to deal with was ridiculous which is why i think they were aggressive in getting a whole new range of vice presidents under them but even Jaws taking this job, you know, the, the the senior vice president of worldwide marketing, and not having to deal with the app store and with events in in 2020, I think is just a, a, a if I was you know it would be a huge thank you. You know, there's going to be a lot going on right now. You keeping those two things just much appreciated. Right. So the two things that are still on Phil Schiller's plate as an Apple fellow are the app store and Apple events. Um which are in order the most controversial aspect yes. of Apple's business. I think, I think it's fair to say that uh, it's obviously up for argument and the highest profile aspect, of, yeah. which I think is inarguable, right? The Apple introduction events, especially the fall one for new iPhones, but WWDC is a close yeah. second. Um, and you know, any other special events they deem necessary throughout the year are obviously the highest profile. They're literally, that's the whole point of them is to be high profile. Right. I yeah. mean, it's, and that's it's, only the events we see, but that, that organization also is huge and does a ton of other things from developer kitchens right. to uh, like mainstream media things to now with Apple TV plus Hollywood sort of things. Right. Well, and speaking of Hollywood sort of things, uh, I had Adam Lisagor on the show a couple of weeks ago and we yeah. talked about the keynote. Um, and I think I, um, I get my dates mixed up. I don't know about you in 2020, but I think the Samsung event came after that. Uh, yeah. and 
it the longer we go from WWDC and the more we settle into the at least temporary, you know, it is temporary. At some point, we'll yeah. get back to having public events without. I mean, the, you know, for the long way or the short way, eventually, COVID nineteen is going to dissipate. Um, it, but in the meantime, the longer we go from WWDC, the better it looks. I mean, I don't yeah. think anybody really complained about it when it happened. It was like, well, this is you know, maybe there were things we were surprised they did it this way or that way. But now, watching as more time has gone on and more companies have done things that are have to be remote that were previously in person. Boy, I, I, it really yeah. it lo- stands apart. I mean, so Facebook and Google just canceled theirs. They just said, yeah. we're not even doing it. We're, we're just not there. So there is no, that the, and, and I feel like it's fair to say, you know, that that's, uh, you can't say they did a bad job with their developer conferences, but it's a way of judging how important they are to the companies. Yeah. Um, like, I don't think it was ever even on the table for Apple not to have WWDC in some way online. Like, yeah. And it, it they just, tie their new releases so closely to the event, which Google doesn't always do. Like the new version of Android is just announced at some point and they do three betas and then it's live. Right. And over the next eight years, people adopt it. Right. And Facebook, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, their, their developer conference has developers and there are things that, Facebook offers that are APIs and integrations that developers follow, and they have even a hardware platform that's relevant with Oculus. Um, but it's just not central to what they do, you know. And again, this will tie into the remainder of this episode. But the App Store and the message from Apple to third-party developers, and the way that they convey those same tentpole features of their platforms to users too yeah. um is really uh it's just a, a it's a tentpole aspect of apple's annual calendar that just yeah. cannot be overstated uh yeah, samsung's right event, with the iPhone event i saw mixed reviews of samsung's event i couldn't watch the whole thing but i saw some clips i thought it was i mean it wasn't unprofessional but i thought it was really bad i, th- I thought there were aspects of it that were just I, I like. I can't believe that this is real. No, it, I, the thing is, and a lot of people say, "Oh, it's because it's 2020," or "Oh, it's because you know it's it's Samsung." But I was at a Samsung event at uh, Radio City Music Hall years ago, and it was a disaster. And I knew some of the people who were working at Samsung at the time, and they said basically they got the script on the teleprompter it was the first time they ever saw it, and they tried their best to say it out loud. And that's apparently what happened again this time. And right. just it's, it must be five or six years later. You can make that mistake once. After that, it's just not caring. Right. And, you know, there were, there were two main co-hosts, sort of like news anchors at a desk. There, there was uh, an Asian woman on the left and a young black man on the right. And, you know, lots of points for diversity with, you know, a woman and a man yeah. and an Asian and a black man. Um, but they clearly weren't Samsung executives. You know, they weren't people with knowledge of the products. I mean, and yeah. some of what they were reading, I mean, they were clearly just reading and it was very, you know, it really seemed like, was, was this take one? I mean, what is going on here? I believe it was. I believe that's the first time they saw that stuff because the script keeps getting... And they're also... 
Samsung America fights with Samsung Korea over who's going to yeah. be in charge of things or who's going to do things. And you can't run a company that way. It's just not a unified vision for an event. Right. And that it, it highlights to me and I, you know, that Apple's WWDC was certainly more diverse in who got screen time than, you know, and their, and their presentations are getting more diverse and they're getting more people into the events and they use the unique sort of pre-taped version of this, I think in a very good way to get more people involved without making it seem like at a lot of other companies, if you know to look for it, you can see it, that it's a political argument between companies that are organized divisionally where each division is arguing for time in the keynote, whether they deserve, whether that works for the company's benefit or not. You know, and it's time for somebody from the Xbox division to come up and speak, even though there's nothing yeah. new for the Xbox this year to do it, but they don't want to give up their 20 minute spot in the keynote. Yeah. And, and sometimes that's very transparent. And the lack of a divisional nature within Apple sort of has always helped them avoid that. Um, but the thing about Apple and the people you see in their events is that it's always people who are responsible. Yeah directly for the thing that they are telling you about, you know, and if it's somebody telling you about the new wireless technology that helps the two AirPods talk to each other with no latency, it's somebody who's directly involved in the development of the AirPods product. It's not just let's pick somebody to talk about it. It's somebody, yeah. let's pick somebody who was involved with it to talk about it. If if the power went out and you were stuck in an elevator with them and they had no pre- like no preparation time, they could still give you yeah. an incredible education about that product. Right, right. That is it's very true. Right, and you know that they're they're obviously involved in picking out these sort of bullet points. What's the best way to make somebody understand yeah. this product? Um, so I really do think that you know, having seen a couple of other things, and I'll, I'll throw in the Democratic National Convention that's going on this week as we record. Which isn't bad, you know, but it is, it's another thing like a product introduction keynote that is traditionally held on a stage in front of thousands of people and interspersed with occasional pre-taped things. Whereas now it has to be entirely remote with no crowd, which is very unusual. Um, and they're doing a, you know, it's to me a credible job, you know. Basically, you're not putting on a live show anymore. You're putting, you're making a TV show. Yep. They're doing okay, but it's not. They're not doing great. I think what Apple did with WWDC, like the WWDC, is the only thing that's happened so far in 2020 that used to be live, wasn't live at all, and afterwards had a lot of people saying, "Oh, this is probably what they're going to do forever, even when COVID's yeah. over." That's the only well, one so far. Nobody is looking at this Democratic National Committee convention and saying, "Oh, four years from now they'll do it the same way." No, <laughs> oh, ex- exactly that. And, like, and Samsung had terrific products. Like they, like you, you can either like them or not like them, think they're boring or, or, or iterative, or they're fantastic. But their products were all super solid, and it was just the event that let them down. Where Apple didn't have any, like no products that required atoms. Like aside from yeah. the developer kit, it was all software. But their production value and storytelling was just expertly done. Yeah. And it, you know, things that were awkward or just, I don't remember anything, you know, it was all very smooth and rehearsed and well tight and tightened up. Like I, with the Samsung, uh, co-hosts, I, 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 I think it was very clear that they weren't together. 
you know, yeah. and, and it would hopefully they weren't because I think it would, you know, they were too close, you know, so they simulated them being close together. But there were times where their banter back and forth was just so poorly edited where it's like, I really hope that this is just poorly edited back and forth banter because if they really were together, this is excruciating. It was well. Usually, like, there's a couple things that I always dunk on Samsung for every year, and one is they they're very different than Apple, but not in always a good way. They always do pre briefings, which means like, uh, mm. if it was me and you, we would go to Samsung a, a week or two weeks before. We'd get time in a room. We'd get to ask them questions, take photos, film the devices, maybe you know get review units. Then two weeks before the event. Then when the event starts, the exact moment the event starts, the embargo lifts. So like Marquez and everybody's videos go live. And now I no longer know if I should be watching the event or watching the videos, which are going to be way more concise than the event, where typically they spend like a, they have a 20 minute speech about how they're the most innovative company in the world. And if Tim Cook did that, I would change the channel. I don't want to hear that from any CEO when I'm a captive audience. Yeah. And they had like a two person interview this time, which, which wasted my time in exactly the same way. I, I just don't, I, just show me the products and tell me why I should buy them. Yeah, I don't. And why not just put the embargo a day afterwards? It's very strange. Yeah, yeah. Or after the show, anything that makes it just more literally possible, like a sequential. Yeah, just you know, even just after the show. Um, so anyway, do you think that we've seen the last of Phil Schiller on stage? I hope not, just because I, I, I it's one of those things where you just want to see. It's like uh, when Batman comes out one last time. It just gives you that rush. And if he was had the opportunity to do something that he loved, like talk about new photographic technology or new audio technology or a, a big change to the App Store, which I'm sure we'll get into soon, yeah. and he could do that on stage, I think it would be terrific seeing him knowing that would be one of the last times instead of you know sort of enjoying the past ones, not knowing that, that way, they were going to be that. Yeah, and I I don't know. I, I I could see it, you know, and he certainly – I think it was obvious as it happened that there was a um, – and it's a broader argument we don't have time to get into. But Apple's events have evolved over time. And and when you go back and watch the Steve Jobs era ones, it it's a lot easier to notice by jumping back 11, 12 years – than it was to notice incrementally yeah. year after year, event after event. But they've gotten a lot more polished. They've gotten a lot more Hollywood, um, for better or for worse. Uh, you know, and I think you can make both cases. Um, but one of the other differences is that there's a lot more people who get stage time now. Like yeah. there were times in the past where it really, you know, especially in the jobs era where it was uh, the only people who might come on stage were people from outside Apple, right? You know, it's like when the iPhone got introduced and it's like, well, let's bring Eric Schmidt from Google and Jerry Yang from Yahoo to talk about the weather app that we're using Yahoo weather for. Uh, oh, and who can forget uh, Stan? <laughs> what was his last name? The The guy from Singular? Oh God, I'm blanking on it. Oh yeah, that was those stay, were always terrible. Stan the man with the worst, yeah. <laughs> the worst on stage <laughs> presence in an Apple keynote ever. Um, but it, you know, there's a lot more people from within the company who are involved now. In recent years, and this is a pet peeve of mine, had been, but I love it now. To me, this is one of the things that to me is a change that 
I've noticed, but most people don't seem to comment on, but I think it's only for the better. It's not just that you see more people uh, throughout Apple on on stage or on screen, as the case may be, but they get credit by name. Yeah. You know, here's uh, Kyan Durance. Here's, you know, and, and just down the line and, and the WWDC co- keynote credited every single person who appeared by name and, you know, just, re, you know, with a title that told you that they work on whatever it is they're, you didn't really have to see their title because whatever they're talking about is what they work on. But uh, I think that's a big change. And I think you could, you know, there, there's a certain strategy to that to become less reliant on Phil Schiller individually and, you know, Craig Federighi. And, you know, it's not just Tim. Craig and Phil doing everything every time, and the occasional so Eddie, too, like, the occasional Eddie Cube, you know, bright shirt. <laughs> well, it's so different because you would if you I, I watched the old events quite a lot, and when they were at Town Hall at Infinite Loop, Steve would just say, and Phil's going to tell you about it, or even Johnny's going to tell you about the new Unibody, and you'd literally see them step up from the chair, yeah. jump up on stage, and turn around. <laughs> That's very true. um yeah i don't know i if i had to bet i would say we'll still see schiller uh again um you know possibly in the exact same role i mean it has been uh and people just don't notice but like i even mentioned you know and it makes me a little annoyed because they're obviously not paying close attention to my wwdc talk shows but um (laughs) It started a few years ago when Phil Schiller didn't appear on stage at WWDC, and yeah. and I and but he was on my show afterwards, and I brought it up, and I remember that which it was. I think we were still at one eleven Mina in San Francisco. In fact, I know we were, um, or not one eleven Mina, the uh, wherever the other place was in San Francisco. Um, but we were still in San Francisco, and I asked Phil about. Hey, this is the first time I think in a long time you haven't been to WWDC, and he was like, "Yeah, it's like twenty years." <laughs> like he had wow. been on stage every time, um, and I, you know, I, I think it was strategic to broaden it out, you know, and and it it does also follow with the whoever is saying it is responsible for it, and Craig Federighi in charge of software is the number two after Tim Cook at WWDC, yeah. where they're talking about their software platforms. And it's hardware people like Phil and Cayenne talking about the iPhones when yeah. it's September, middle September, and the iPhones come out. I think Phil, the last I remember him at WWC was the HomePod in 2017. He just had so many hardware products at that mm. show, and he capped it off, I think, with the HomePod. Yeah, I remember that. That was a tough demo because and I remember he even acknowledged that it was a tough demo because it's like, We've done all this advanced stuff to make it sound good in the living room, and now we have to simulate it for you in a yeah <laughs> in a room full of six thousand people. <laughs> but he was really deep on that product; like he was oh, yeah. there for everything, and he and you could tell he loved it. And I think that's why he was the one who did it at, at yeah. Dub Dub. Uh, so anyway, let me take a break before we dive into the App Store. We have a little bit to talk yeah. about, and uh, let me tell you about our next sponsor. It's Feels. Hey, do you experience stress? Do you have anxiety? Maybe chronic pain? Do you have trouble sleeping? At least once a week, you are not alone. Many people do. Feels is premium CBD delivered directly to your doorstep. What does Feels do? Feels naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. It is easy to take. All you do is you place a few drops of Feels, F-E-A-L-S, under your tongue, and you feel the difference within minutes. And they have real human support. 
if you're new to CBD, and most people are because it's a new product category, Feels offers a free CBD hotline and text message support. So if you want to talk to someone on the phone, you can do it. You want to just text, which is what I would do. Uh, you could do that too, but you get a real person on the other end, not just some automated support thing. Uh, and they can help guide your personal experience to tell you what, you know, what, what should you order? What should you expect? That sort of thing. Um, it works naturally to help you feel better. There's no high hangover or addiction. Uh, and they have a membership. You join the feels community and you get feels delivered to your door every month and you save money on every order once you join the membership program and you can pause or cancel at any time. No hassle. Uh, so remember it's F E A L S dot com. Go to feels.com slash talk show. And when you go to that URL, feels.com slash talk show, you get 50% off your first order with free shipping when you become a member. So that's feels, F-E-A-L-S dot com slash talk show and become a member and you get 50% off automatically with free shipping. Ah, App Store. Oh, Ooh, boy. It's a lot, John. Hey, you know what? Before we go on to App Store, we should just say, I, I think that in addition to... I, I, because he's been on stage so much, the Phil Schiller moving on from being in charge of product marketing to its title of Apple Fellow with a limited number of things on his plate gets got all the a lot of publicity. Jaws getting promoted to to senior vice president of worldwide marketing is it, it was very obvious to anybody who's known anything about the company for ten, fifteen, maybe longer years that Jaws was number two under under Phil. Um, And, you know, I'm not just saying this in the self-serving way that Jaws has been on my show a couple of times, Um, but he is uh, really just, the amount of time he's been on stage is not proportionate to his influence within that marketing division. You know, he's just, you know, humbly allowed himself to be mostly offstage over the years. But he's yeah, he good when the, he's on stage. He's amazing. Yeah, he did the 10.2-inch um, iPad at the last September event. Yeah. And he's also one of the smart, like, in, in my old career, when I worked in product marketing, I was in enterprise. But most of the marketing people that you dealt with were salespeople. And all they would do is try to sell you on a product. They would tell you it had any feature, even if it didn't have it, that, you know, that the sky was the limit. They just wanted to make sales. And Apple's marketing is not like that at all. He's an engineer. He can explain battery chemistry, processor architecture, everything like three layers deep. And they really have an ownership of products that's almost unheard of in general marketing organizations. Right. And and I've said this before, often maybe specifically about Phil Schiller individually, but really is more uh, about the entire division that people's, the layperson's conception of what quote unquote marketing means is absolutely not what marketing means at Apple. Like if you think marketing means the, you design the packaging and the advertising for products, you know, that other people jingles, right. You, you know, that, you know, that you're like the in-house ad agency for the products that, you know, they come to you and say, here, now sell this. That is how marketing works at some companies. It may be how marketing works at a lot of companies. It is nothing how marketing works at Apple. Marketing, I always said they got rid of the word product, but I always said that 
when his title was direct or senior vice president of worldwide product marketing, the product was more important than the marketing. Yes. Um, and they're involved from Absolutely. the conception forward. Like you said, Jaws knows his stuff inside and out, battery chemistry, stuff like that. Um, Cayenne Drance, you know, yes. her knowledge of the camera systems is so intricate and she's absolutely a tremendous person to have. Like I've spoken to her in the off the record briefings after yeah. events, but it's always in the context of you're talking to an expert and it's, and it's, it's not that she's talking down to you, but it's, she's explaining intricate yeah. amounts of detailed knowledge to how do I, how do I, take that intricate knowledge of how this really works to explain it to you in the way that I know will answer your question, you know, but you, and she handled the a 12 uh, announcement two right. years ago in September. And she knows the SOC, everything yeah. on deeply technical levels. Yeah. The, the technical stuff is just tremendous. So like when you speak to the people in product marketing and you ask a sort of technical question, there is never a, it's not like, you know, testifying before Congress and they're like, ah, let me take a note of that and I'll have someone get back yeah. to you. Like it is, how do I explain this to you? <laughs> really? yeah. Right. It is yeah. never like I need to get, I need to talk to somebody and I'll get back to you with an answer. It's they know the answer and they're just, you know, like a good teacher figuring out how do they, how, you know, pedagogically, how do they explain this in, in a genuine way? Um, it always seems to me like, you know, like the industrial design team, like they, they feel an ownership of the iPhone's design and the hardware engineering team feels an ownership of how it gets produced and the software and interface people feel ownership of how it runs and how it looks. But the marketing team has to keep in constant contact with all of it and make sure all those components end up to be a cohesive thing that somebody wants to buy, which is a really important part at the end. Yeah. And I do think, you know, in a, a broad sense, it, it, it gets to the advertising part, the packaging part, it, it, the brand management part, which, you know, is inherently nebulous, right? Like, what is the yeah. Apple brand worth? I mean, that is, I know that, you know, Forbes or somebody comes up with a number every year and says, you know, here's, here's what these top brands are worth. You can't, that's just BS, right? I mean, but you can't really put a dollar amount on it. It is so nebulous, um, but there is, but it's also undeniable that it's incredibly valuable. Um, it does get to the heart, though, of what I think good marketing is. Good marketing is inherently honest, and it is informed. Yeah. You know that that by helping to conceive of the scope, the design, the nature, the intended purpose, the price of a product. The advertising ideas, the way to present it to the public falls out of that because you just yep. describe it. You know, you just say, here's what it's good for. Here's why the new iPhone 11 Pro camera is better than any camera we've ever shipped before. And it's not uh, made up nonsense. It is actual technical user relevant this will actually change what you do in your personal life when you take photos of your friends and families and the places you go uh back when you were allowed to go places <laughs> yeah <laughs> photos you know or where no, but it's exactly that it's like a good bad marketers will take a product no one wants and try to con them people into buying it right and you know bad good marketers will take a, a good product and just let it die on the vine but Apple has a lot of really good, good marketers who have solid products and are 
highly capable in explaining to people why they're relevant for them. And that's why I think they've had the success that they have. Right. And it is also very contrary to the sort of Apple hater view of the company, which is that broadly speaking, the company's products are overrated, overpriced, yeah. and sold by hype. I mean, yes. and I, I'm not trying to... A bunch of deluded cultists. Yeah. Or, you know, even to a lesser degree, I'm trying to... Trying to be a little bit more generous to the viewpoint, and I'm not using uh, the cult or uh, what are what are some. I'm, I'm trying to avoid phrasing like that. But the idea that it's you know you, you're you're buying on hype. I mean, I've there's some people I've I've seen some people say that like uh, you know argue that like a Lexus or an Acura is just a bunch of better plastic on a Honda or Toyota. Yeah. You know, and that if you really know what's go you know what you're buying, you just buy the Honda Accord instead of the the Acura, you're just paying for hype or whatever. Uh, whether that's true or not, I don't know about cars to say, but you know, there, there's that mindset towards Apple, and I really think that that's that's. I, I disagree with it, but I also think you're if you start with that perspective, you're going to misunderstand what what this entire yeah. division within Apple does and what their role is and why they're the ones on stage telling us about these products. Well, I think people also have different personal beliefs on what is valuable, but also an intolerance of what other people or how other people see value. So for some, like an absolute, and we'll get to this in a minute, an absolute open computing environment is incredibly valuable. And if you deny them that, then your product is a joke. And for other people, an open computing system is a nightmare, and they just want something that works for them. And if you give them that nightmare, they're going to hate you, but they also don't understand why anybody would want that. And I think the, the hard part is understanding your subjective view, not mistaking it for an objective view, but also understanding and respecting that other people have very different views and priorities and values. Um, so yeah, let's get into it. You know, yeah. it's um, the app store is <laughs> in a lot of news. Uh, how do we start? I mean, the Xbox thing already seems like old news. Um, yeah, but I guess ongoing. But let's start with it. Go in chronological order where. Sure. Microsoft had toiled for a long time to get their new Xbox Game Pass working on iOS as well as Android. Uh, this is a product that it, it is game streaming. And so effectively, yeah. in a sense, and you know, you, I think you know more about this than me, but it is, um, it is almost more like the app is a video player that yeah. takes you know the game is running on hardware somewhere in the cloud there is still a native xbox game running on an xbox operating system on a machine and that machine is not your phone or your ipad it is somewhere in the cloud and your app is just effectively a video player but it takes the input from your game controller and Yep. It, it effectively turns your net connection to the Xbox into the HDMI connection that you have yes. with a real, you know, it's just replace. If you think of it as replacing, sort of, and I guess that's yeah, not right it's, because it's like it, Netflix for video games, it really is. It just the yeah. bits they're streaming aren't like a single stream. You can and right. even then, like you can press play and pause and do even like our Bandersnatch on Netflix. You could interact with it. It is really just the bits and and the, the video and audio is for a gaming experience. That's the only real difference. Right. 
and they, you know, they were working on it. It was somewhat highly publicized test flight beta where I presume they filled up the 10,000 spots very yeah. easily. Um, but they could only do one game, even in the test box environment. They could only do Master Chief for the Halo game. Right, because on uh, Android, they did have multiple games. Yeah, and they and, will, and the eventual service is going to ship with hundreds of games. Um, and I guess, presumably, it's because Test Flight still has to go through... This is something I don't know enough about, I don't think. Yeah. That Test Flight betas still go through approval in some way yes. and it's just what less a lot less scrutiny and they don't really they'll let stuff fly like this you know i mean presumably if it's um i mean just to pick the most glaring example if it's something to do with pornography they're just yeah. not even going to let the test flight yeah. go through yeah um i i would guess if it was actual online gambling you know, if you could play real money blackjack in the app, they're not going to even let that through in test flight. Um, so it goes through, but even there, the rules against having like, I forget the exact app store guideline rule, but effectively you cannot have a game, an app that contains multiple games, you know, because yeah, then you can't have, have an app store in the app store. You can have right. like a video store, a book store, you can have any sorts of stores except for an app or a game store. And, you know, where they draw the line on that, I don't know. I mean, obviously, there are, for just to name an example, there's solitaire games. There's, you know, a hundred different ways to play solitaire. You can have a solitaire game that offers a hundred game options, you know, that are different types of solitaire games. That doesn't run afoul of it, but you can't have a solitaire game that also is a Pac-Man game. I don't know where the line is drawn. Like, I don't know. I think this distribution, I think like you can have your own options. You, maybe right. even if you're Hasbro, you could have a couple of your own games in an app, but right. you can't be distributing third-party content. Through right. The, that's right. what makes it a store. So you could make a casino game, you know, that A, doesn't use real money, but yeah. offers craps and blackjack and roulette in the same game, but... You know, there's obviously a line they draw. Even in test flight beta, they Apple apparently either Apple drew the line, I presume, or Microsoft voluntarily drew it. But it seems a lot more likely that Apple was like, uh, "How about one?" Yeah, game? they seem salty enough that it sounds like it was yeah. a good choice. Um, and you know, it came out, and uh, bottom line is Microsoft said, "Well, we don't see a path forward for this, so it's going to be Android yeah. only, and we're giving up." Uh, and a lot of people were very disappointed in this decision in, at Microsoft, uh, iOS users who wanted to play their Xbox games. Um, we don't really know exactly what happened, though, right? Like, I've, you know, and it's, it's fallen off the radar with the Epic Fortnite thing, but I don't think that this was about the money, the 30%. No. You know, and it—I'll it, just say the financial deal with Xbox Game Pass is it's fifteen dollars a month, and then yeah. you pay Microsoft your fifteen dollars a month, and then you have Xbox Game Pass. And like you said, I think at launch next month they're going to have like a hundred games, you yeah. know, Halo and this and that, and they're all real Xbox games, and you can play them. And you just keep paying fifteen dollars a month, and you can keep playing all these games, and they'll add more games as they become available. I don't think this is about. Um, Apple wanting Microsoft to offer in-app purchase for that subscription and yeah. Apple would get 30%. It, 
And, you know, I think everybody jumps to the conclusion and, you know, not wrongly. It's not, it's not idiot, idiotic to, to just start with the assumption that it's about money. That's actually usually a good assumption, right? You're, you'll be right more often than wrong. If in any of these disputes, your first guess is, I'll bet it's about money. You're probably right. I think in this case, well, it's though, ultimately about money. Just, is it short term about money right. or is it long term about money? Is it about the immediate transaction? Right. Yes. Um, I don't think it is. I don't, you know, and I think that at first thought you're thinking like, well, uh, one way to do it, like what Apple, you know, like the way Netflix used to work for years and years was you could sign up for Netflix at netflix.com and have a Netflix account and then get the Netflix app on your iPhone and sign in. And then you're into Netflix and Apple doesn't see a penny and you're watching movies for years to come. And that's that. Or you could download the Netflix app on your iPhone and you don't have a Netflix account yet and you could sign up in the app through the in-app purchasing and you've got a subscription to Netflix and that subscription works everywhere else where Netflix works, on the website, on other devices, on Android. Um, but your monthly subscription goes through your Apple account. I was going to say iTunes account. I guess we're sort of getting yeah. away from calling them iTunes account, but you know, it's just another subscription. Those subscriptions are still there. Uh, I know for a long time, I, they don't really publish top grossing, but for a while after Netflix said, you know what, we're not going to offer in-app subscriptions anymore. We're just going to do this on our own. Yeah. Netflix remained for obvious reasons, the top grossing or eight, you know, one or two on the list of the top grossing apps in the app store because so many people signed up for their Netflix subscriptions in app. And I don't think Netflix will ever get rid of it because it would be so disruptive. You know, why take the risk? Yeah. Um, you know, but then obviously with that Netflix traditional situation, the deal was that, uh, you know, you, lots, I don't know what the breakdown is, but lots of people who watch Netflix on their iOS devices already had their Netflix subscription outside the Apple ecosystem, and some of them got it within. Um, is that what my, Apple wanted from Microsoft? I don't think so. I don't think that was it at all, let alone going more hardcore and saying, we're only going to let this on iOS if everybody who uses it on iOS signs up in-app and we get 30%. Yeah. I don't – because now there, I, I don't think – I think even Microsoft would be like, well, that's – that's you're asking too much. You know, we're going to sign up a gazillion of these people right on our Xbox. I don't think it had anything to do with any of that. I think they've already done it, haven't they? Because Microsoft has other subscription services like um, for Office 365, yeah. and I believe they've come to agreement with Apple about that. So it's not yeah. like it's something that's more, like unusual for them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that is a, a, I think it's contentious and I don't think it has ever sat right with app with Microsoft that the Microsoft 365 stuff does offer in-app subscriptions at some level, you know, and some percentage of the users using them have signed up that way. And Apple is seeing 30 to 15% of that money, even though a lot of other users, almost certainly most by you know overwhelmingly most i would assume 365 users who do use ios devices aren't paying through itunes they're getting it through work or they signed up on their computer or something um you know again that's a dangerous thing to say to call something a computer in this discussion <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're they're pc or mac um I don't think that was it at all. And I think that everybody has sort of come to the conclusion that, you know, there probably isn't. And I think uh, Microsoft's statement on this sort of made it clear. 
Um, yeah. I know you had a great video on this. So anyway, I'll, I'll leave it to you to, to pick this up. Oh, no, thank you. But it, it seems like just streaming video for some reason. Sorry, let me start that again. Apps in general and games in, spe- in specific seem to be treated differently, just in general. Even on Android, which is famous for allowing side loading and allowing different payment options, has very strict policies about games, you know, which, again, we'll get, we'll get to in a minute. But streaming games are going to be hugely disruptive because you're paying $15 a, a month uh, and you're getting 100 games. And there's a lot of I feel like calling them excuses why we can't let it on our platform. Like we can't, I think what Apple said is they can't review every single title, but they don't need to because it, it really is no different than Netflix or Spotify. And they don't review every song and they don't review every movie or every TV show. And all of those have parental guidance ratings already. You know, they're either have mature lyrics or they have adult content or they have PG or, or whatever it is. And anyone that gets respected within parental guidance controls. So that's not an issue either. It's just that these are streaming games instead of streaming video or or streaming audio. And I, I honestly think, and, and just overall, you know, like there's no mustache twirling villains in this. It's not like Apple is sitting there going, ah, ha, 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 we're going we're gonna to rule this universe and, and Microsoft or Epic are twirling their mustaches back in return. It's everybody has their own best interests in mind and projects those into what's best for the customer, even if we as customers sometimes think that's that's not really best for us. So I think they're being conservative, they're being careful in how they approach um, game streaming. And Apple doesn't have a game streaming service, and some people say that's why, but Apple didn't have a music streaming service when they allowed Spotify on and didn't have a video streaming service when they had uh, Netflix on. So I think that's really irrelevant as well. It's just I don't think I don't. It's one of those things where we discussed just between us earlier. It, they were not prepared for. Like it was not built with these sorts of services in mind. Apps were very different when the App Store was created, and games were very different. They were all discrete binary blobs that were largely like paid for upfront. Uh, they were expensive at first. The prices dropped, but just the idea of in-app purchases and the idea of streaming video was nothing that anybody really thought of. And uh, Apple tends to be a measure twenty times cut once company even if they're being obliterated in the media during the two or three weeks it takes them to think these things through. Yeah, I I, I think that people just aren't hooked up. Just it's human nature and it's, you know, and it is political and it's political in the sense of the broadest sense of the word where it's both yeah. electoral politics and it's what a lot of people say they hate about politicians in general regardless of where they these politicians fall along party lines and it's why people get frustrated with corporations and the way corporations even apple even microsoft even google even companies that people, Amazon companies that rank very highly on people's brand affinity rankings, right? That they don't, they, people aren't hooked up for the way they communicate to the public where they just, they, they, they get, they're very good. That's, it's a very difficult job to be in comms yeah. for a company like that. And part of it is that it is hard to give a credible non-answer to a question you don't want to answer, right? And politicians aren't ready to answer yet. Right. Well, whatever, whatever the reason of why you don't want to answer it, but you do need to give some sort of answer, you give a non-answer. And that's where, and was it a bad answer? 
No, maybe not. I thought at first maybe, but maybe it's fine. And uh, I, the fact that it actually dates back to this, this Apple statement on Xbox Game Pass, which went to Business Insider and everybody just quoted Business yeah. Insider, but they were giving it to other outlets. I actually did ask Apple and they gave me the same statement. Um, it's, you know, for whatever reason, in this case, people didn't, a lot of news outlets just went with the Business Insider version, but it was the same. But it wasn't new. It was it was new in the context of Xbox Game Pass, but Apple had given it to Mark Gurman back in March in the context yeah. of, was it Stadia? Was it Google Stadia? I forget which. It I was so. some other game streaming thing. Um, so you ask a question and somebody gives you an answer and you just assume their answer is an answer to the question. And so you say, why isn't Xbox game pass allowed on the app store? And Apple's answer includes this phrasing here. I'll read. Um, they can absolutely gaming services can absolutely launch on the app store. As long as they follow the same set of guidelines applicable to all developers, including submitting games individually for review and appearing in charts and search. And so everybody, you know, that is Apple's statement and everybody read that and thought, well, that means if you need to review each app individually, how does that possibly work for a streaming service? And everybody immediately yeah. went to the streaming video like Netflix and Spotify and, you know, just to name the two big ones, which by the size of their libraries, it's impossible, right? It really would be a Sisyphean task to try to individually review every video on Netflix. There's, it's impossible, um, and everybody, you know, thinks, well, this doesn't even make sense. But if you take that whole phrase, this is my take on it. And I, I really, I think I'm hundred percent right that if you take the whole phrase that they follow the same guidelines applicable to all developers, including submitting games individually for review and appearing in charts and search, well, what, what charts, what search they mean app store start yeah. charts and search. So it's really just a non-answer way of saying yeah. why why can't Xbox Game Pass be in the App Store? What Apple's saying is native iPhone games can be in the App Store. Yeah. Which is another way of saying we don't allow game streaming. Yeah. But they don't want to say this. They don't want to say it. Like they've solved this for other media, for example, like the, uh, things on Spotify don't show up in App Store like in the Apple Music charts, obviously. Right. But you know, they if they choose and Netflix famously chooses not to, but if they choose they can integrate and have it show up in Siri Search and have it show up in Up Next and do all sorts of things on like the TV app interface, for example. Yeah, but it's so almost there's, there's ways of handling this. It's almost like the the that the whole thing is beside the point, right? It's not yes. really what they're saying is it, it's it's less about a, a reviewing individual titles or being in charts and search. It's they're just saying there here's some good things about native iPhone games. Yes. Right. Native iPhone games are reviewed individually, and they do appear in our charts and search. Yeah. And that's not an answer to why can't the X? Why isn't the Xbox game allowed? And it's you know, I think it's mostly about control. And there, once you start to talk about platform control, then you're a couple of steps, a couple of chess moves away from talking about money. Um, so yes, there is money involved in what Apple's looking at here, but I really think that. And let's just say this about the Xbox Game Pass idea. Xbox Game Pass specifically is not a threat to native iPhone and iPad gaming. Right. Other than the fact that every minute somebody spends playing 
Xbox Game Pass on their iPhone or iPad, if it were available, is a minute they wouldn't spend playing a native iPhone game. And there's only a limited amount of attention in the day. Um, but it's not, these aren't made, these aren't really iPhone games. These are games that all require Xbox controllers. And yeah, and Apple's the one who allowed iOS to have great, you know, first class support for literally yeah. the Xbox controller and the PlayStation controller. Um, but like you're on the bus going to work and you take out your phone to play a game for a while. You can't use the Xbox Game Pass for that unless you have a controller with you. And yes, there's like a thing that you can snap onto the sides of an iPhone to turn it, you know, basically the Switch model where you can put hardware yep. controls on the edge. But again, in, in a lot of contexts where a lot of people spend a lot of time playing games, even people who love Xbox games that require the controller aren't going to do that, right? You're not going to just you know, while you're waiting in line to buy something at a store where there's a long queue, you're not going to set up your phone as a switch for 90 seconds to play a little bit of Xbox. You're just going to play something else, you know, that's yeah. meant for the phone. Um, also, everybody's like, well, now it's, it's all about Apple Arcade because Apple has a subscription thing. Yeah. And they oh. want you to, they want you to spend $5 a month on Apple Arcade not this. But then again, now we're talking about direct money. And Apple's 30% of 15 is like $4 or is exactly $4.50, which is almost $5 a month for a thing that they don't have any production cost for at all. Yep. And yes, money. <laughs> it would drop to 15% after a year. So it would only be $2.25 instead of that. But $2.25 a month as their share of uh, Xbox Game Pass is in the ballpark of the $5 a month for Apple Arcade when you consider that they, they don't have to do anything. Right? It's yeah, and the, the thing that gets me with all of these analysis, and it's going to bleed into Epic too, is that these a lot of things that people accuse Apple of being in it for the money or turn to these massive uh, conspiracies it's this fundamental error of always assuming that you are the majority. And it happens on Twitter a lot too, where anyone who has a strong opinion thinks that by definition, 90% of other people have the same circumstances and opinion. And it's, it's, these are not big numbers for Apple. And I've joked about this before, like when people accuse Apple of doing things to maintain their MFI, their made for iPhone accessory profit, that, that is literally cushion change for Apple compared to iPhone profits. Most of these things, like the, the Xbox Game Pass thing, is not a mainstream concern. I fully believe streaming gaming is inevitable the same way streaming video and audio is, and they'll have massive mainstream appeal eventually. But right now, Apple's problem isn't understanding and coming up with policy and structure for it for Xbox Game Pass or for Google um, Stadia. It's just figuring out handle, handle it, how to handle it in general. And once that happens, all of this will be folded in. But these are these are like the like the smallest the, the smallest niche concerns and the lowest amount of of margin problems. They just get an incredible amount of online attention. Yeah, I do think though that Microsoft must have thought that this was going to be about the money because they clearly thought they had a pretty yes. good chance. And I kind of think they assumed that this was going to be worked out. I really do think. And I have no inside information on it. And I think the number of people who are privy to the actual negotiations is very small and on both yeah. sides aren't the sort of people who blab. Um, you know, probably <laughs> Phil Schiller personally. 
Yes. Honestly. And Satya Nadella. Yeah. Um, but I really think that Microsoft went into this thinking it would be a fight over where between 30 and 15 and what level of prominence the in-app sign-up needs to have and those sort of things. And then Apple was like, no, we really, we don't even want your money. You know, we don't want it. We don't want, we don't even want 30% of this. We're, we're not allowing it. Um, and I think Microsoft was taken aback by that. I do. Yeah. Um, because yeah. I think if they'd known it going in, I think that, you know, they wouldn't have wasted the time developing it. And I don't know how much time they spend on the iOS version, particularly that wasn't applicable just as much to the Android version. Um, but you can definitely see the other thing you know is by all accounts, iPhone and Android aren't really equivalent demographics. I mean, not even that, that's, I'm, I'm underselling the differences. You know, iOS users are more willing and likely to spend money than Android users. And so just counting up the number of Android devices in use versus the number of iPhone and iPad devices in use doesn't give you an accurate picture of all of the market. And to me, the the real eye-opening number recently was David Hanemeyer Hansen's um, posted last month that was part of his testimony to Congress in the antitrust hearings about Hay and that now this is post launch of Hay and after they had, you know, a month or six weeks of, of, you know, market data. Um, and they have, you know, they have an Android version that I use. I, I've, I still yeah. use Hay, the email. I have it on my phone and I have it on my pixel four and it is as good. It's a very similar app because it, uh, the Basecamp company, they, the way they develop software is sort of a web app first. And that, especially the iPhone version, I don't, this is a whole discussion I don't want to have, but it's not <laughs> quite a web app in, wrapped in an iPhone thing. The iPhone app in particular is native in a lot of ways. Um, but if you, it's very, very similar design. You can see how they, the Android version and the iPhone version are, it's like, a you know, the way that games are often the same. If the game is on yeah. both platforms, it's, you know, very, very minor differences. That they're, the number of people paying for Hey who are using an Apple device, I think they, I think it was like 90% of their users use at least one Apple device. Now, I'm not sure what that number means because it could mean that they have an Android phone but use a Mac, which I think would probably, especially for their audience, is quite possibly a, a large number of their Android users because they're using Android phones, but they're developer types, nerds who use a MacBook for like web app development. Um, but it was, and something like 75% of their mobile payers are on iOS devices, which isn't what you think of as the market share for. You know, it's certainly it's not. It's not the market share for iPhone versus Android phones, 75% being iPhones. You know, the, the number of people who pay for services like a $99 a year email service is way higher on on iOS. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the market, that's that's one of the things you get into when you're discussing how much dominance someone has over a market. Right. So like globally, uh, Apple's share is tiny. I think it's like 20-something percent. In some countries in Europe, it's infinitesimal. Like there's some countries where just Android is vastly, vastly more used. And it goes down, I think, into the teens of usage. And then in North America, they have a, a majority of usage. Like there's more people using iPhones. With American teens, I, you never know how good the data is. But one of the research firms said it's like 83% of American teens have them. And the other, and two more percent want them right. and don't have them. 
and so you def- by defining those markets, it all, who, who does like who does Xbox streaming gaming appeal to? If they really want to attach right. to North American teens, then they obviously really badly want on the iOS market. Right. So skip the age demographics and just go by who spends money while you want to be on yeah. the iPhone. And if you go by the age demographics, who do you want? Well, you probably want teenagers. Uh, then you want the iPhone. You know, yeah. so whatever their internal spreadsheet was on the number of people they expect to be playing Xbox Game Pass on their mobile phones, um, the iPhone's role in that Excel spreadsheet uh, was certainly not based on unit sales of devices. And it was yeah. far more, you know, and if they could pick, if you just went to Satya Nadella and said, well, I can't explain why, but you have a decision. All I can tell you is you have a choice. You can either have Xbox Game Pass on iPhone or have it on Android. And he would, before you even finish the sentence, he'd say, oh, iPhone. Yes. Yeah. Because there's more we money. We see that with their own apps, right? Like they've been making right. mobile versions of their products for iPad before they've been making them for Windows. Right. There's, there's more money. You know, there's more yeah. money to be had. Um, so I think that from Apple's perspective, it's not, you know, I think there's part of this idea that the gaming is so lucrative and it is, you know, and we can get into this idea that iOS in the broad sense is a console like system for apps, period. But when it comes to games specifically, it is a one to one comparison, you know, that it, it is like a gaming platform that also does a whole lot more. Yeah. Um, and no gaming platform that's a console like system allows game streaming. You know, yes. nobody is irate that the Nintendo Switch doesn't have Xbox Game Pass, you know, yeah. and even Microsoft didn't, uh, you know, as far as I know, there was no 10,000 person beta of Xbox Game Pass for Switch. Or and, the PlayStation for that matter. Yeah, or PlayStation and Xbox, you know, they're not taking Xbox and Xbox doesn't have a version of PlayStation's game streaming thing. Yeah. Um, which is very cool. That's the first place I've ever seen game streaming. My son has a PlayStation 4, and he has, I forget what PlayStation calls their thing, but he can play a lot of old, and, and theirs is mixed, their service. It's the same subscription fee. Some of the games you download to your PlayStation and you play them as a downloaded game like other PlayStation games, but some you can just stream, especially the yeah. older ones that are smaller, and he can just stream games and if he just gets like an inkling to play an old game he doesn't have to wait for it to download he can just like go pick it and stream it and i'm like really you're and it was like the first time i saw somebody doing it and i was like this is very impressive and i'm you know it shows my age that i just assume the latency of a network is you know going to make twitch like gaming not twitch the video streaming service but twitchy reflexes um no it works you know but there's no way Xbox is going to host game streaming from another company. And yet people, you know, and here we get into the contentious argument where some people are saying, yeah, so it makes sense. And what the hell was Microsoft thinking that Apple was going to allow a game streaming service on their game platform? Uh, and whereas others are saying, what are you nuts? iOS is nothing like a game platform. Yeah, Console. I mean, we all bring our own personal desires to it, but you know, if you go back and watch the introduction, you know, when Steve Jobs introduced the App Store, he, he was incredibly clear from the beginning that he was using a console model. Yeah, and that's so. I, I've you know, I've been talking about this on Dithering with Ben Thompson, and 
arguing with people very nicely. It's actually been a very fun and it's, you know, it reinvigorated my belief that human beings are capable of respectful, intelligent, open-minded yeah. argument. Um, the problem that I've gotten into by making this argument that not really that iOS is like a console, but it is a console system conceptually and was right from the beginning is that some people hear console as a word and they immediately go to game console. That you don't have to say yeah. that it, that game consoles aren't a type of computing console. They are it, it's it's like dropping the tele from telephone. It's the same word. I say I'm going to call you on the phone, I'm going to call you on the telephone. It's the same thing. I say iOS is a console and there's a lot of people who hear me saying I iOS is exactly like Switch and Xbox and PlayStation 4. Yes. No more than that, no less than that, exactly like that. And they say that's uh, nonsense. And that is, that would be nonsense if that's the way you hear it. That's not the way I mean it. I mean console in a broader term. And it's just that game consoles are the ones that have been around for decades and have popularized the basic business model. Well, and also it's how we view it as opposed to how the vendor views it. Apple clearly views it as a console, and you yep. don't have to agree with them. You can think they're completely wrong and, and out to lunch and bananas, and you can view it as it should be an open console. Uh, just just to touch briefly on Epic, like they were super angry that Microsoft's uh, HoloLens was closed and they couldn't have the Unreal Engine on it, and they went to war with Microsoft over that uh, because Microsoft viewed it as a console like the Xbox. Right. And we look at the Xbox like it's okay to be a console, but most of these game consoles have web browsers. You can get Skype, you can get Netflix, you can get a, right. a host of apps that aren't video games on them as well. And they are literally inside almost the same as any computer that you would use to run general purpose apps. Right. It's just the philosophy behind them is different. Right. And with the Xbox in particular, and again, right, I don't want to get into like a college, you know, sit around smoking dope. You know, talking about the philosophy. Yeah, what's the nature of? <laughs> what's the nature of? What's the nature of a computer, man? But like the Xbox in particular, going back to the very first Xbox, was literally the the basic idea is let's take a gaming PC that we can put together into a into a size that would fit in uh, somebody's entertainment system underneath most TVs, and replace the. PC connectors in the back with home entertainment connectors and uh, and sell Windows games using the console model. And if you took the Xbox, even today, if you took it out of the box or, or the, the, the pack, you know, what do you call it? The uh, just took it out of the case yeah. and just took the internal components out and took a gaming PC out of its case, which is a lot easier to do. <laughs> And put it out. You couldn't tell them apart. You you could. Yeah, we used to do that. We used to mod the original Xbox all the time. Right. You you know you'd have to like look at the actual green boards and see if there's some small print that says that it's the you know it says something is stamped Xbox you know before you could tell it apart. Um, conceptually, I'm sure I had Linux on mine for a while. Right, and <laughs> much like I didn't even know that was possible, but much like how sure. much like how Apple shares operating system uh, core, core OS across its platforms, uh, the Xbox runs a variant of Windows 10, you know, and so people yeah. say, okay, so there's a web browser, but nobody uses it as their main web browser. But that's just by design, right? There's no reason that a kid couldn't go to college with their Xbox as their computer you know go with a, a computer and a monitor and put the xbox on their desk 
and have the Xbox run things like an email client and a good version of a web browser and do all of their work on the same, you know, that one device. That's just by design that they don't let things like that go through and that they don't, it isn't designed to run in a context where you're going to open up a bunch of browser tabs and read it, you know, read the news on your Xbox, but it certainly could. It's just limiting, you know, it's sort of like an alternate universe where circa 2008, Steve Jobs, who was still on the fence, or I guess it would have been 2007, Steve Jobs is still on the fence of whether they should have third-party native apps at all. What if Apple had said, okay, but only games? Where, you know, no native apps was the original iPhone message. You, you have a sweet solution. You can write web apps. What if they had said instead, okay, we are going to allow uh, third-party apps, but we're not a games company, so we'll let games, you know, and, and yeah. here's uh, uh, Sega. And we'll partner with Netflix like we do with YouTube, and you'll have like a Netflix app. Right. Uh, It'll be fine. Yeah, and we'll have, you know, stuff like that. Um, there's, a, you know, it obviously would have been leaving a lot of opportunity on the table, but in theory, there's no reason they couldn't have done that, you know, and then what would be the argument now? There's really very little argument. Uh, yeah, and all I'm parsing out is that it's it's a different argument to say it isn't a console than saying it shouldn't be a console. And I think that's what gets right. lost sometimes. It does. But uh, the other thing that I've noticed, so I've noticed that the word console means something specific to games to some people. And when I explain yeah. that I don't mean games specifically, I mean the model, then they say, oh, okay, I see what you mean now. I thought you just like an meant, infotainment center. Yeah, like that's also a console. I don't. But if you know, and somebody looked at the some some smartass looked in the dictionary, and the dictionary has an entry that says, uh, you know, console like definition three is a computer device primarily for playing games. And they're like, well, that you know that means the dictionary says it's just for games. And I said, well, okay, the same dictionary, Merriam-Webster's, look up yeah. the phone. <laughs> yeah, and trust me, the Merriam-Webster entry for phone says a telephone. <laughs> So, oh, but there know. are dedicated consoles like air, people who control aircraft and stuff. And there are purpose-built consoles for almost right. everything across industries. They're just not usually consumer-related, right? And you know, I get it. But there's also the other way that I have lost people with this argument is, and and again, and you're very right that there is the should angle, yeah. which again, that is a whole thing that we could talk about for hours, and we'll be talking about for hours and hours. Yes to come and on videos and in columns and podcasts to come. And it's a great argument. And then what makes it a great argument is there's validity to multiple arguments with uh, across yeah. the spectrum on that. But even without the argument of whether Apple should be treating it, the thing that I have noticed is there is a significant number of people with very strong opinions about iOS who don't, hadn't been under the, hadn't really opened their eyes to how much it is a console. Yeah. And when you point this out, they are angry about it. It is very it's an electric reaction and they are offended and it really does date back 25 years to mid to late '90s arguments, that where Richard Stallman was talking about, you know, certain chips that Microsoft wanted to introduce into PCs for safe boot, you know, and um, well, Jobs and Woz were arguing about whether it should be a sealed appliance, right. an open computing platform, decades ago. 
Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I've heard, I saw some people say, well, you know, you shouldn't use the word console. That means games. You should call it an appliance. But to me, appliance, uh, uh, you know, like your refrigerator might have a computer in it, but you don't install apps on it, right? To me, no. the console model is is the expandability notion. You yes. know, that, that it's, sure, my dishwasher, I, my dishwasher actually is some sort of computer and I hate it. <laughs> I really do. Well, saying that, I'm sure there must be an Android fridge out there and someone's installing apps on it right now. Well, there is. Remember, Tim Cook made fun <laughs> of Samsung for making it. Or maybe, I forget if they came out with the fridge after he made fun of it or not, but uh, he called them on it. But uh, appliance to me implies, and I'm talking in broad terms, I don't know, maybe we don't have a great word, but I think console works as long as you say that Xbox, PlayStation, and Switch are game consoles. And they're the yeah. consoles that have been established for a long time. iOS is an app console. It always has been. And, but a lot well, of If you pe- hate that word, I mean, you could call it unmanaged versus managed computing environments. You can yeah. choose whatever word you want. Right. But it's, there's a lot of people out there who really see that the, that iOS is like the Mac. But for like a little asterisk, like a footnote that says, but right now Apple makes everything go through the App Store. And if they would just like erase this asterisk, then they'd be, it would be the same. And that's what they want very much. They want the iPhone and iPad to be like the Mac in terms of being able to run software from anywhere uh, that does things that aren't going through the App Store that Apple would never approve. And at a, you know, it's it is they're completely missing how Apple has talked about it uh, yeah. ever since it came out. They're completely not really looking at how it's been run every single step of the way since it came out. What they're looking at, and where they're not necessarily crazy, is that at a technical level, yeah, you can look at it and see that it's not like. Not that it wouldn't take work, not that Apple has to erase like one line of code that's like an if statement, if. (laughs) (laughs) If iOS, then. Yeah, if iOS, then this, and just erase that, and then all of a sudden it's exactly like the Mac. But you can see how, yes, technically, you know, the work, you know, to make iOS have something like, um, you know, the Mac where you can just download an app package from a website and click one, uh, you know, permission dialogue and have it installed. You could see that, um, but that's not how Apple's ever talked about it. And the other thing people often say it, is they say, Apple never called it a console. Well, of course they don't. You know, it's not really a pleasant word. I don't really think you hear Xbox and Nintendo talk about their platforms as consoles. Yeah, I, I think it's also really important to point out that most of the time when we have these discussions, it's with incredibly technologically savvy, computer literate people. And going back to what I said earlier, everyone mistakes themselves for a majority, and they just believe deeply that what they say reflects the opinions of most people, even when it's totally not the case. And we've had open computing environments for decades. And one of the things that Steve Jobs was most ardent on was making computers ever more accessible to ever more, uh, greater amounts of people of mainstreaming computing technology. And his vision of doing that was making them easier to use by making them more controlled. And when you when you step through Apple II to Mac uh, to the iPhone and iPad, which which he thought were far more important to mainstream people than than the Mac even, was that providing that controlled managed experience opened them up. He wasn't restricting their rights; he was relieving their burden. They, like he didn't think that humans should have to manage 
or deal with that complexity. And he believed that a lot of people found that uh, off-putting, if not alienating. It made them feel dumb and that they deserve to have these as tools, not as uh, sort of workbenches, but as as tools that they shouldn't have to worry about you know, finding other sources. Can they trust it? And it's also an important part of this argument that I think gets left behind is whether the iPhone as a platform is successful, whether people are more willing to spend money on it, whether it's adopted by users who are more willing to spend money on it because it is users who appreciate uh, the way that it works largely because of how Apple has managed the platform. And I always test against Android. I always look and say, well, Android doesn't have these things. So show me the app that can exist under Android that can exist under iOS that is changing the world and improving lives. And I'm sure there are a bunch of apps that are on Android that aren't on iOS, um, emulators and all sorts of things. But all the big ones like Instagram and Lyft and you know just any almost any app you can think of is on the iPhone. Almost always first, quite often still more polished than it is on Android and more available to people. And by changing it, by making it, I, I joke about this. I always talk to developers. And they tell me what they want. And I said, but so you want the Google Play Store? And they say, yes. And I said, well, why aren't you on that? And they say, because I hate it. <laughs> and reconciling those statements, it seems to be really hard for people. To me, one of the concepts uh, that we're talking about is encapsulation. Encapsulation. That you encapsulate uh, complexity in a way that is easier understood and managed. And when you do, and again, it comes back to one of the most recurring themes in everything I ever talk about or write about is trade-offs. And people, it's like you said earlier about Twitter, people want there to be an answer that's zero or 100, and they don't want to hear that the answer is actually 57. And it's mostly towards 100, but there's actually 43 <laughs> good points on the other side, you know, yes. and that's just the way it is, but that's where the answer is. Um, they just don't want to hear it. But in Encapsulating complexity inherently involves trade-offs. Um, it, it's just, the, but one of the positives is it makes it more accessible to people who don't understand the the technical underpinnings. Yeah. Um, and people who do understand them often don't see the downsides to it. You know, but I think that that's sort of, and, and I think this. I think a lot of people who are arguing that iOS should be, should, not is, but should be less of a console and should be more open are, are just completely overlooking completely the advantages that it has to many, many people. That it's not that it's, I think there's so many people making the argument that Apple is very wrong and has an indefensible ethical and perhaps legal position on this whole thing. Um, that on the ethical side, they don't really, they just completely assume that Apple's, that the iOS has succeeded despite Apple's tight-fisted control yes. and not because of the tight-fisted yeah. control. But think about, you know, and, and the console model, if you go back, and again, this also comes to one of my big themes is that where you start from matters because it colors how people see things going forward. And if you think about game consoles, you think about like the Atari 2600 and the original Nintendo NES system yeah. where they were actual cartridges that the game was on chips in hardware. And the 
the concept to the user was exactly what you saw, right? You you had the game console in front of you hooked up to your TV. And if you turned it on without a cartridge in, nothing happened. You didn't even, there wasn't like a system, you know, I, I forget it. I don't think NES had one, but I know Atari 2600 didn't. You didn't even get a picture. Without a cartridge in the cartridge slot, there was nothing. Yeah. And if you put asteroids in and uh, I think, you, yeah, with the 2600, they used to even recommend strongly that you turn it off, take the cartridge out, put yes. a new cartridge in, turn it back on. And my sister would just yank a cartridge out and put it back in. And I was so deathly afraid that she was going to break it. Because I was like, oh my God. I, and I was like, I wasn't even, it wasn't even like my parents won't buy us a new one. I was like, we might have to go three days without it <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> um, I was like, you don't listen, you know. Ah, yeah, um, exactly. But you I know, still have that with the stupid SD cards on Macs today. Right, but the, same original trauma. The idea of how do you install Asteroids was very obvious. You put the cartridge yeah. in the slot, <laughs> and yep. how do you uninstall it? Well, you take it out, and then you put Space Invaders in. That and where we've gotten today with the Xbox, PlayStation, and Switch is obviously incredibly more powerful computer systems and you can install things in more complicated ways but that basic model is still there where you get the app from an official source and it's completely encapsulated and the assumption that the game even on a completely modern not even out yet xbox x system x coming later this year which is the most you know in the playstation 5 the most advanced game console computers ever made the idea is that no matter what you do, when you get a new game, the game isn't going to like overwrite the system and create a launch item so that the next time you turn on your PlayStation 5, whatever game you just bought now puts up a pop-up menu every time your system starts up. And it's, oh, and when you delete the game because you don't even like it, it leaves behind a bunch of files that you have to clean up and stuff like you. People are like, no, no, games consoles don't work like that, right? You're just, they're all everything's neatly encapsulated, and if you delete the game, you delete all traces of the game. But it's not like a voluntary compliance thing. You can't even get your game into the platform unless you comply with the rules, you know, that that are voluntary or otherwise. Whether they're sandboxing, yep. hardware things, people just assume that that's the case because that's where game consoles came from because they used to literally be enforced by the fact that it was a hardware cartridge. And the fact that iOS and Android look like Mac OS X and Linux derivative computers that just happen to run in your pocket and you know that there's a Linux kernel on the Android and a Darwin kernel and you know UI kit and app kit are similar and a lot of the frameworks like Swift UI are literally exactly the same. It's, you know, technically, yeah, there's a lot of similarities, but yet the the neatness of iOS where you cannot mess up your iPhone by installing an app. You can't do it. There's nothing that can be done through an app you get through the app store that will mess up your system or leave behind traces or all of a sudden you get weird pop-up menus every time you get a phone call because you installed a thing from Facebook. Doesn't happen, right? And whereas on our Macs and PCs, stuff like that happens all the time. I don't think people uh, understand just how much of an appeal that is, you know? 
Yeah, it, it it's that it's that joking cliche. It just works thing. But for like, I had uh, right now. It's also in vogue to say that you know Apple really didn't do much with the App Store. That there were <laughs> ways to download apps and there were ways to buy apps previously. And I, but I was one of those people. I had you know since the handspring visor and the Palm Trio and the Windows mobile phones, I've had all of them, and I have receipts for buying like the $48 sticky app that crashed constantly and me trying to remember which of the eight different web stores I bought it off of. Uh, it was just, it was not a model where most people were doing it. It was a very, very, very niche activity. And what Apple did is what they've done that's generated their success for for years is that they figured out a way to package to package technology in a way that had massive mainstream appeal. And the App Store is an Apple product in the same way that the iPhone is. It did the same thing. It took a bunch of sort of quirky, hard-to-use, disparate technologies and made a cohesive product out of it and huge, successful business. And they did the same thing with app distribution. And I think looking at it differently than that is non-helpful. And I'm not saying that I agree with how it's run. I think that 2020 is very different than 2008 and that there are strong arguments for changing the percentage base because it's really not that much money for Apple. People have this this idea that Apple's fighting over this. It is it is literally pocket change for Apple. I, th- I forget how many billions it moves the needle, but it's like it's sing- it's very low single digit for a company that makes hundreds of billions of dollars all the time. Right. And I I also think that sideloading is important, especially in an age where China can block VPN apps and America might block TikTok, but it's. It's not because I think there's anything fundamentally broken with the app stores, because I think that we're living in a time that requires um, requires a more flexible approach just because the world is becoming a more chaotic place. But I think a lot of this, and this is where I get into a lot of trouble from a lot of people, I think there's a lot of frustration about apps and games moving from valuable, expensive, niche, scarce products into abundant commodity if not unit-based, then rapidly becoming subscription-based. Uh, the same way we've seen news transformed by Google and movies and videos transformed by Netflix and music by Spotify, the same forces are being applied to apps and games. And I don't even think Apple understands it yet, but I think it's making a lot of developers who want to have successful apps angry in the same way it makes a lot of YouTubers who want to have huge audiences and don't have them really angry and all of these things serves serve as very good targets for channeling that anger. Yeah, I think so. Um, and just to- like I don't think it would change. Like I think Apple could give developers almost everything they want, and I still think developers would have to work really, really hard to figure out how to find a valuable niche or become a breakout mainstream sensation. And it wouldn't just magically make any developer super affluent overnight. Yeah, um, I really do think though just. To- tie off the Xbox Game Pass thing that it's in some ways about games specifically where they don't want these meta games that are games within an app and even though Xbox Game Pass isn't mobile first the technology once you're talking about streaming the technology is there where somebody could easily make one if they it's that opening the door to streaming and so I think if they were going to make an exception and they made it for Xbox Game Pass specifically, the fact that you're still playing Xbox games that require a hardware controller and aren't really meant for the sort of mobile context that most mobile games are, including Apple Arcade games, it's not really disruptive to Apple's no. current yeah. game market for iOS. But 
opening the door to streaming software in general, streaming yes. from the cloud is. And I yeah. really think that it's it's almost the inverse of the Epic argument, where the Epic argument, they're trying to say it's about everything, but they're really talking about games. The Xbox One, everybody's talking about games and competition with Apple Arcade, but I really think that from Apple's perspective, it's the broader perspective of they don't have a policy in place yet for streaming software, which yeah, is absolutely. clearly coming. It's coming to games first. It's here for games. It's a present tense thing for games. It's obviously as as cloud computing is more prominent and latency and ubiquitous 5G and good LTE networking is in more places it's it's coming and apple isn't doesn't have an answer for it yet you know and how in terms it what what does it mean for a company that wants to have control over all of the apps on this platform um you know it's and sort I, of like uh, microsoft when the web browser started becoming a thing is that they only understood windows as office apps they didn't have any yeah. un- understanding at all of what google docs would be yeah and it took like 30 years, but Scott McNeely's Thin Client Future is, is finally <laughs> getting closer to reality. You know, and uh, our, you know, our mutual dear friend Guy English sent me something yes. about that. When this whole thing broke, he'd sent me, you know, and Guy's like us where he has a long memory and remembers stuff like that. But it is true. The Thin Client from that era, and, you know, Oracle was a big player in that too. Yeah. Um, it It always did make sense that it would happen eventually, you know, just not, it's people weren't thinking it through at the time, right? Same way that the web became, you know, web apps would be a future, but everybody at the time thought that the web would be the new Windows and you'd run apps that were just like the apps you ran on Windows, but they'd go through your web browser. And it's like, that doesn't really make sense because it's just not good for it. And The payload grew faster than the delivery system every time. Right. And just, just, you could just look at it. You know what I mean? Like there's a reason Gmail is very super, super duper popular and doesn't look like a Windows or Mac app at all. You know, it's just, you know, hey, doesn't look like, a Mac app or a Windows app, it looks like a web app. And that's, you know, you, you know, not good or bad in and of itself. It just is what it is. But the, you know, it did become the de facto lowest common denominator software platform. Yeah. All right, let's take a break. I'm going to thank our third and final sponsor, new sponsor. They sponsored, I think, two episodes ago, but I'm so happy to have them. Raycon. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds. Before you drop hundreds of dollars on a pair, check out wireless earbuds from Raycon. Raycon earbuds start at about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market. And they sound just as good as other top audio brands you know uh, without naming them. Their newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds, are their best ones yet with six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and a more compact design that gives you a nice noise-isolating fit. Raycon's earbuds are so comfortable, perfect for conference calls or binging podcasts, whether it's like work stuff and you're you know doing work calls or entertainment stuff, listening to music, watching videos. Raycon's wireless earbuds are comfortable for long stretches of time with long battery life. Stylish, discreet, no dangling wires, no stems to distract anyone during calls. You look totally normal when you're on camera. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. You can get a 15% discount 
off their already low prices by going to buyraycon.com, B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N, buyraycon.com slash talk show. That's buyraycon slash talk show, and you get 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. My thanks to them for sponsoring this show. So now we've got Epic, and I feel like I do at least feel the news happened in the right order, like the hold yeah. my beer order, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, wow, yeah. this fight with Microsoft and Apple over the future of iOS gaming and Apple's tight-fisted control over the App Store and what type of games and stuff can be on it is fascinating. What drama? And Tim Sweeney is like, hold my beer, hold hold a keg yeah. of beer. <laughs> yes. Yeah, good old Tim Sweeney. Uh, you know, and so it's fun. Like somebody, uh, you know, why are we so interested in this? Why is it getting so much attention? Well, it's a lot of drama and it is, you know, I don't think it's, and it is complex. It's not a simple, clear cut argument. Um, there's a lot of money at stake. There's two big companies with, or three, if you count Google, um, People have very strong opinions that run a gamut. It's not just two binary positions. Um, yeah. It's a lot of drama. And uh, it was engineered to be dramatic. I mean, yes. they had videos and it, it yeah. was just designed to be dramatic from the start. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, I've drawn the analogy on uh, dithering to a chess game and I, you know, it's, it very much so, right? But there's like certain chess openings where it's like you already, you know, you got to get like three moves in before you start making choices because it's like, oh, yeah. this is the whatever gambit and that's how you open. Um, and if you know, you know, that you, your opening move is this, that might be a surprise. Your opening move is a surprise, you know, and I think <laughs> Fortnite sneaking in their own custom payment <laughs> yes. processing into an app they'd submitted to Apple a week before that didn't have it exposed definitely was a surprise. Uh, and Epic clearly thought Apple is almost certainly going to pull Fortnite from the store in response. Yeah. That happened hours later, and within minutes of that, the lawsuit dropped and the video dropped. Yeah. I mean, they had that move ready to go. So that's like you're playing white, you make a surprising opening move. Apple spends some time to think, makes their move, and the second they do, you're like, I knew it, and then you have your move ready to go. And it's and they had a Google lawsuit ready too, so I'm assuming they yeah. like so they must have figured that Google would pull the app too, but they didn't have a video. Right, there was no "Don't be evil" video ready to go. Right, and you know I think part of that is Apple's the juicier target. I mean, yeah. what would the Google version of it be? But then why do the loss like so that that was the thing for me, and we can get to this later too. It's that it's it would almost have been worse for Apple if they hadn't sued Google immediately as well. I wonder. And I wonder if they thought, you know, if they thought to themselves, maybe Google would like to play both sides of this, and they'll let yeah. they'll let Fortnite slide. You know, you know that maybe their Epic's thinking was maybe Google would like to make hay at Apple's expense too. I mean, it, at times Google does, right? I mean, and you know, Microsoft made put out a pithy statement about the Xbox yeah. game thing. I mean, they're not above these big companies that play within our expectations of corporate decorum aren't above taking jabs at each other. Um, so I think maybe they didn't know. I didn't know. I wasn't, I felt very certain I would have bet a lot of money, not my house, but I would have bet a lot yeah. of money that Apple was going to pull Fortnite. 
Same. However crazy that seems, given how popular it is, but what else could they do? I would not have bet so much on Google. I would have made a much smaller bet on Google. And I think that the just you know that that Epic sort of okay, we'll file a lawsuit against you too. We kind of have to. Um, but they're they're everything they've done since has been less about Google and more about Apple. Yeah, the curious thing to me though, and it, it touches on a lot of the arguments people made. Is And I think when a lot of these things happen, a lot of the feelings that get expressed are more generic or more personal, and they sort of get attached to like Epic. So people who have had grudges or fundamental philosophical disagreements about the way the App Store gets run sort of voice those in support of Epic, regardless of whether they have anything to do with the specifics of Epic or not. And in this case, we saw a bunch of people saying, like, you know, yes, the App Store is a monopoly. Apple needs to open it up. They should allow side-loading. And the interesting thing to me is that Epic shut that, or should have effectively shut that down immediately because they had side loading on Android. They used it. They hated it so much they had to go back to the right. Google Play Store. And in their lawsuit, they argue that it's insufficient. Uh, and for people who aren't familiar with it, the way it works on Android is basically like Gatekeeper in that you have to go in, turn it on, t- tap through a bunch of warning messages, and then install the app. And they said that that is enough to make sure that almost nobody ever uses it. So it's effectively not there anyway. So when you argue that Apple should just allow Gatekeeper on the iPhone, that is an argument. Um, you know, I will make that argument too, but it is nothing that would make Epic any happier than they are right now. Well, I, but I, I think, I, I correct me if I'm wrong. I actually did the research on this and now I've already forgotten it. And of course I don't have the notes, but um uh, the way that Epic did it wasn't that they pulled at Fortnite from the Play Store. They debuted Android, the Android version of Fortnite outside the Play Store. And they tried to do it only on their own, only through side loading. Yes. And like a year later, we're like, uh, yeah, it didn't really work that well. So here yeah, it is for exactly. the Play Store. And now it complies. Um, and it is still available outside the Play Store. So I actually went through on my Pixel and uh installed it and it's actually i this is actually i have to say i just hadn't been curious until this point how yeah. side loading worked on android it is different than gatekeeper in a certain basic sense where at least on the latest version of android uh i think it's android 10 whatever i'm running on my pixel that's up to pixel 4 that's up to date it's not a system wide thing where you say allow apps from other yes. sources what you do is you pick apps that can install uh, apps to, they, and they call them sources. And it's a little yeah, conf- NPK source. It's confusing because you you're in. So the way that you go about it is I'm in Chrome with the default browser on Android, and I go to the Epic site and I say I want to get Fortnite, and they say okay, start by downloading the Epic Games Store, or I think that's what they call it. And you download yes. an APK file, which is like the .app bundle for them. Um, and Chrome says, do you want to allow app installations from this source? You know, it might, might be dangerous, blah, blah, blah. I wasn't sure what that dialogue – I'm not trying to be obtuse here. I, I honestly didn't know what it meant. Like, do they mean the source is epicgames.com or the source is – Chrome, the Chrome app on my phone. What they mean is the Chrome app. Yeah. 
Um, that's the source. And so what you do then, there's like a security section in the Android settings where you can say, here are the sources you're allowed to install apps from. And the, there, it's a list of apps. And so the path for getting Fortnite on your Android phone is first use your browser to get Epic Games. And, yeah. and first you have to allow your browser to install apps. Then you... In- run Epic Games and you have to run through the same set of permission dialogues to let the Epic Game Store install apps because the Epic Game Store is how you get Fortnite. So and there's no notarization requirement like there is for the standard gatekeeper. Like you can turn off that requirement for gatekeeper, but there's no signed or notarized as far as I know uh for those Android apps. Yeah, maybe. Um uh, Here's the dialog box. It says, uh, Chrome, for your security, your phone is not allowed to install unknown apps from this source. And then your yeah. two your two options are cancel or settings. Um, so again, I, I think that that exact, and, and this is on, I'm on the epicgames.com slash Fortnite website. And the dialog box just says, Chrome, for your security, your phone is not allowed to install unknown apps from this source. I don't think it was a bad guess for me to say that the source is epicgames.com, but they mean... Chrome. But yeah. if you just tap settings, then you go through and it's a very clear dialogue. The next screen is your, you jumps you right to settings, says Chrome, allow from this source. It's off by default and it says your phone and personal data are more vulnerable to attack by unknown apps. By installing apps from this source, you agree that you are responsible for any damage to your phone or loss of data that may result from their use. And then you can turn it on. So I think there's a couple of things here. Number one, I think Epic's little A-B test on what what is their success outside the Play Store is corrupted by the fact that they don't let you download Fortnite directly anyway. They make you download Epic Games and then through Epic Games get Fortnite, right? So It was on the Samsung Store as well, but I think that also just shows us the market impact of the yeah. Samsung Store versus Google Play. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think so. Uh, which is confusing too, right? And it gets into yeah. the level of... Uh, okay, you have more choices. More choices is good. Well, not necessarily, because if you have a Samsung phone and you have access to the Play Store and the Samsung Store, where are you supposed to go? Well, it also goes beyond that. Like when people say Android is open, Android is open to the vendors. There's very little about Android that's open to the end consumer unless you build it right. yourself from the open source project, and very few human beings are capable of doing that to make a functional consumer phone. Right. And, and you, for example, you can't get the L, like if there was an LG store, you couldn't get the LG store on on Samsung or the Samsung store on on right. OnePlus. And that was part of their argument was that Google was sort of forcing OnePlus not to include the Epic Game Launcher built in, which would make it easier for customers. And we're forcing LG not to include it, which would make it easier for customers. Um, and I, I don't think that these dialogue boxes are particularly uh, alarming in their language. I mean, honestly, I'm not trying to be, uh, again, I keep saying I'm not trying to be obtuse, but I'm really not. I think that these are very reasonable paths to turn on sideloading. It's very difficult. You wouldn't happen by accident, which is important, and I think correct. And if you really want to get Fortnite, the path to do it is pretty obvious, but it's Epic's own fault that it is a two-level, first install the Epic Game Store, then install Fortnite. It's their own dumbass fault. However many people they've lost by not just allowing the Fortnite.ap to be downloaded directly from the web and only granting your web browser this super ability to install apps. That's their own fault for putting their their desire to have an Epic Game Store 
uh, ahead of making it as easy as possible to install Fortnite. So if they've well, that's, that's sort of like I'm 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 spoiler here, but that's why I, I'll get to later is that Epic is not the Batman we want or need here <laughs> because their goal is not to have you install Fortnite. Their goal is to get the Epic Store right. on. Like they, they their 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 problem is not so much they hate the App Store and hate the Google Play Store in in that they want to be an App Store or a Google Play Store. They don't want to. They don't want to give 30% of their income to Apple or Google. They want to charge 12% or whatever it ends up being to other game developers. Right, they want to be on the opposite side of that fence. Right, and much like a lot of the stuff with President Trump, where it's like, just listen to him, right? He literally yeah. said, I'm, I'm trying to keep the post office underfunded so they can't count the millions of ballots. You know, And they're like, uh, you weren't supposed to say that out loud. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm doing. It's the same way where Tim Sweeney has said – Yes, just the other day, he even said, like, wouldn't it be great if you could buy once and have the same game on your PlayStation and your Switch and your phone? And again, I'm not even disagreeing that from a user's perspective, that would be great. It would be fantastic if you could buy a $60 app once and run it on two platforms and your phone with one purchase. I agree from the consumer's perspective perspective totally agree but what what is he talking about as the mechanism for that he's talking about the epic store <laughs> yes. i mean and his games right he's not fighting any other developers battles but his own so uh, so google i i'm not surprised that they kicked fortnite off i uh, wouldn't have bet heavily on it i can see why they're not making a big stink about it because it it the existence of Android. I, I think this would be a lot easier on Android if the Play Store were a lot more like the iOS App Store and had a lot. It's more increasingly of the rules. becoming like that though. Like, like Google has moved away from the open Android model towards a far more controlled Google Play Services model over the years. And but even it, with games, they are far more controlling with games than they are with random software. But there's an awful lot of people who are what they're saying they want from iOS at a user's yes. perspective is. Something like Gatekeeper or what Android calls, I don't even know if they have a name for it, but something that would let you install apps by clicking, you know, off by everybody. Oh, everybody reasonable agrees it would be off by default because it even is on the Mac and everybody. And yes, there's some diehards on the issue who maybe would say that's somehow philosophically offensive. Um, Off by default, easily turned on with a warning that is not that is truthful and not yes. uh, unnecessarily alarming. Uh, and therefore it would give you the user freedom to get things that either aren't allowed or otherwise are just optional through their platforms app store. Um, they have it on Google, right? That's the, th- so there's a part of this thing where it's very uncomfortable for Epic, in my opinion, to say, well, what do you want Apple to do? What could Apple yeah. do to just say, okay, you know what? Tim Sweeney and Epic, you're right. We're wrong. Let's, you know, we'll just uh, do whatever you want. What do you want us to do? And I think there's a lot of people uh, on the iOS side of the debate here who are saying that iOS should be like Android, but they are. It, that's obviously not the answer because they're yeah. they're suing Google too. They want something more. And if you read their lawsuit against Google. They complain vociferously that those warning dialogues that I just read are yes. are the whole reason they were a failure outside the Play for Play Store, and that they're unfair and overly alarming. 
I, I, I think they want like a one tap thing where all of a sudden there's an Epic game store on your phone and that's yes. it with no warning by default. And that is a bad idea. They I mean, want basically the Epic Game Store to be on the App Store, on the Google Play Store, where you can tap it, install it, and from then on, you never have to go back to the App Store or the Play right. Store. Right, and you you know, and and that the games installed by the Epic Game Store are every bit you know native apps on the platform that are on your home screen, et cetera, and so forth. And then when and because they run the Epic Game Store very similar, so the Epic Game Store, if people aren't familiar with it, it um, Tim Tim Sweeney gets angry at so many people. He got angry at Valve Steam because they charge 30%. The industry standard is 30%. You can love it or hate it, but it's the industry standard. Um, they were charging 30%, and he didn't think he was getting value from that. So he made his own store, and he's aggressive. So he's tried to assign a lot of games to exclusive agreements that would keep them out of the Steam store as a way to compete. And he only charges 12%. He, Epic only charges 12%. They do charge a licensing fee for the Unreal Engine, but if you use the Unreal Engine inside the Epic Store, you get that 5% back. So it's a little more complicated. But I'd also caution saying that he's delivering fundamentally less than what most, like he's, he's not delivering anywhere near the value that an App Store or a Play Store is. I'm not sure compared to Steam because he doesn't have the reach. He doesn't, he doesn't have the ability to feature games. He doesn't have the, the scope of the, of the user commitment to it. But also that can change at any time. There's no law that says what a game store has to charge. So he effectively just, like people say it's David versus Goliath, but it's, it's a young, hungry Goliath who wants to be the Goliath. <laughs> uh, can I just say also as an aside that the Epic Game Store for Android that I did go ahead and install only has two games. It has Fortnite and Battle Breakers, which I've never heard of. So they make you jump through the hoop of uh, installing their game store first before you can yeah. get Fortnite, which is the thing everybody is surely going there this week for, just to have the option to install one other game. I mean, for now, I think the Windows, I forget how many are on the Windows yeah. version, but they do have a bunch of apps that they're, that they're effectively doing what the App Store does. They're brokering those apps. Right. Um, obviously, with the Apple, it's more of a fight. Obviously, it is, yeah. you know, and it's a true, it's a Trojan horse, not in the sense of being a, you know, the, the security industry term of a Trojan horse, but in the allegorical sense of the, the story of the, the original Trojan horse. They built this functionality into Fortnite didn't have it enabled, submitted the update, got it approved, and then turned it on remotely. And boom, Fortnite is taking credit cards from outside the store. And is right now to this day, you know, if you have Fortnite on your iPhone, you can do it right now. Um, you know, and in terms of Apple not being as heavy handed as they could be, you know, they're allowing it to stay up at least through August 28th, yeah. I guess, is their deadline. Yeah. And uh, if it sounds like you know I'm, I'm being hard, harder on Epic than I am on Apple, that's only because Epic won't stop talking. If a Apple and Google have put out, Apple's put out two statements, Google one statement, uh, Sweeney is tweeting, and it's just it's so much easier when you have things that you can respond to. Because I, I you know I, I think that there's much better ways that Apple can handle this, and I do think to your point earlier, it's absolutely reckless that Epic has a game engine attached to them. This isn't like Unity, which is a standalone engine, and it's not like uh, hey, which uh, you know, Basecamp, which has an app that that not a uh, framework that everyone depends on, uh, and and Android is, isn't in this discussion because nobody creates um, Unreal games on Android, but on on Apple's platforms, they both Apple and Epic have developers who are dependent upon this relationship being mature and being managed, 
And it's, that's not what it is right now. And so my, my, most of my, usually all my sympathy is not with Epic. It's not with Apple. It's with the indie devs. But here it's also with the people who are, whose businesses depend on the Unreal Engine and right now are nervous, if not terrified about what's happening. Yeah. I, it, you know, and I looked into this. Um, there's not a lot of Unreal Engine games for iOS. I mean, there have been some high profile ones, including Infinity Blade, which uh, was, from Epic and actually got them on stage at keynotes. Probably not going to be on stage at future keynotes no. for a while. Um, it's not and that they sold Gears Award to Microsoft, but it is. It, it, even if you don't plan it on, if you don't have direct plans for launching your uh, in the works title for iOS, the fact that it's a possibility is certainly there, right? And platforms really need to be stable and predictable, you know, and yes. you can say what you want. And, you know, that's a lot of what the predictability is. You mentioned, hey, there that's a real issue with the App Store guidelines is, yeah. and it makes the platform unreliable, right? Like, yes. Um, and I do, I think this is so funny that when, hey, launched and Apple initially let the first version through and then the second version before they officially launched, they were like, uh, oh, you need to in implement in-app purchasing. This isn't in compliance. And rather than sit there and stew quietly, uh, Jason Fried and David Hanemeyer Hansen collectively, you know, went public with it in a very effective way, right? They're yeah, the very- doesn't do anything quietly. <laughs> no, he doesn't, you know, and they're such a good duo because there is sort of a, it's not good cop, bad cop, but like yeah. loud cop, quiet cop, <laughs> right? Dramatic and dramatic yeah. cop. And, and, yeah. uh, but it was a very effective campaign. And uh, so many people accuse them of engineering the whole thing as a stunt for publicity. And, you know, and DHS in particular is like, that's insane. How in the world would we possibly have predicted that, you know, but all people saw was that, oh, you're getting a lot of publicity. Public yeah. sentiment is almost entirely on your side. Uh, therefore, this was all a publicity stunt. Whereas they're like, no, we really just wanted the damn app in the store. The, the launch wasn't the stunt. The, the, right. the litigation about the blockage was like, they, they have a very prominent article on their website that talks about the value of rage uh, in, in getting your opinion across online. Mm -hmm. Um, and they are very effective at once something happens that they don't think is right and proper of marshalling that sort of internet right. rage in their direction to help them get what they want. Right. And that's just good, clean yes. advocacy for yourself, you know, and it shows that however disproportionate the financial might of Apple versus the Basecamp company LLC is, in terms of righteous indignation and publicity, you can fight them on equal grounds, right? That's, it's a yeah. fascinating story. But these, these, People who accuse them of a stunt, and and their story, their their side of the argument is: we thought Hey was a lot like Basecamp, and we've been doing this with Basecamp yeah. on iOS for twelve years. So we just and and our first one point went through. And that's all true. It's exactly yeah, what and they no thought. No developer who's not doing something outlandish should ever have to worry about whether their app gets on the store right. or not. Whereas what Epic has done with Fortnite literally is a publicity stunt. Yes, they had a publicity stunt. 
uh, video ready to go. And yeah. they deliberately, Epic deliberately violated the clear rules of the store and they knew it. I mean, yeah. they, they admit it. Nobody's in denial of it. Fortnite says, Oh yeah, we, we put a feature in our app for the app store that completely violates one of the core rules. Not like an ESO. Both Apple and Google's App Store rule. Right. A rule that everybody is aware of and talks about all the time. Not like, oh, you never knew about rule 29D section (laughs) F. Oh, I didn't know. No, this is like, you know, rule. it might be rule 3.3, but it might as well be rule one, which is that if you do online, you know, ones and zero digital content transactions, they go through Apple and you pay Apple. Thou shalt put no payment system before me. Right, exactly. Um, but in terms of predictability, that what, what happened with Hay gets to actual problems yeah. honest indie developers, large and small, have with the App Store is that it's not predictable. And look, I, I think it ties in with Microsoft and the Xbox Game Pass is that yes. I think they thought they were going to be able to work this out by writing a check effectively. Let's just figure out what percentage you want and we'll agree to it. And when Apple was like, no, this is actually about soft, you know control of the platform going forward, not money, it was unpredictable. And that There's makes... This weird... That's a problem. weird part... No, it totally, there is this weird thing inside Apple, and I don't know why it exists this way, where they will, they prefer not to say no to an app up front. Yep. But when they find something they don't like, they want to make an example out of a very public app immediately as a way of setting policy they don't have to write down. And I think that, I think maybe that is a lot of legal, legal ass covering, or it, it's a way of, of, they see it as a way of maintaining flexibility. But I think it's absolutely detrimental to, to uh, developer confidence in the platform, and I really wish they wouldn't do that. It just it, it, it takes their most ardent supporter and turns them into a disgruntled, angry individual, and there's just no reason for it. Right. I think in terms of sort of un uh, breaking free of some of the I don't know what are they barnacles, you know, things that are yeah. stuck. The way that the argument has sort of gotten rusty, and we're sort of making the same arguments over and over again. And if you really just want to, let's break, let's break this off, snap this off and find a new perspective. Like one of the ways Apple could like, let's rethink the app store is how can we make this a lot more predictable now yeah. and anticipating future trends? Um, I, th- I think that the whole reader app category is unpredictable because it's, yeah. it's, it, it's clearly what they're just the plain terminology calling Netflix a reader app. You know, it's, it just speaks to the fact that the rule is ambiguous in terms of yeah. what qualifies and what doesn't, you know. And if you want to say games definitely don't qualify, games are one of those things like pornography where there's a, I know it when I see it, right? Yeah. It's, you know, you can say games and people know what games are, right? Bandersnatch is game-like video, but everybody knows it's not a game. Yeah. Um so I, I think that that unpredictability, I don't think in terms of what chess moves one side or the other may or may not have anticipated or predicted, I'm not entirely sure Epic foresaw Apple saying, we're going to sever your Apple developer agreement. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But this is the thing, and like you pointed it out, this is what puts Unreal Engine at risk um, because it has nothing to do with iOS. It's because they develop it using Macs so that it can yeah. run on iOS. Um, you know, presumably, uh, you know, the PC development where it's 
bread and butter of the Unreal target audience of games are isn't done on a Mac, but they need to be able to do the development on a Mac to keep it compiling. Even if it, you don't even count the Mac as a target, it's um, although that's probably less relevant as time goes on and Apple and Macs move to Apple Silicon, that the Mac yeah. will, as a byproduct of being more architecturally similar to iOS, but that's neither here nor there. But if they want it to run on iOS, they need to compile it on a Mac. And if they need to compile it on a Mac, they need an Apple developer license. And it's, you know, technically, yeah, they could just say, well, you know, Renee. They they could let you sideload it. I mean, they they, they hate that whole idea. Or they could register a new Apple developer license agreement in somebody else's name, you know, the you know, the Rene Ritchie, you know, personal yeah. thing. But that's that's actually against the rules. Like if you want to say we're sticking to rules and we're looking at these and we have lawyers involved, the license agreement also says that if you're a company, you can't play shenanigans by registering developer license. You know, if if they sever- I mean, They could make a subsidiary and, and, and license the engine to themselves in perpetuity and have a right. developer account for the subsidiary. There's all sorts of legal shenanigans. Right, there's do. all sorts of stuff they could do. But in the meantime, basically they put- Unreal Engine as a platform for targeting iOS at risk for a fight that has nothing to do with Unreal Engine specifically at all. Yeah. And that is not a good move as a platform vendor. And it should have been predictable because that is exactly what the other clause in the App Store thing says. I mean, right. like maybe they would have thought that Apple wouldn't enforce it, but they had to know that it was a possibility because it is in that same agreement that they signed. Right. So what should Apple have done in response to Fortnite doing this? Right. That's if we're going to wrap up the show. And, and I think that there's a sentiment that I've seen from a lot of people. And I think it's reasonable, which is that Apple threatening to pull Epic's entire developer license and therefore, uh, putting Unreal Engine at risk too is heavy handed and uncalled for and a bullying tactic. Um, well, can we, can we preface this quickly by saying, like, there's a lot of things I think people look at as individuals and not as companies. And we saw that like a, a week or so ago when Apple is suing this company that has a pear-shaped logo, and everyone's yeah. like, "Oh, look, Apple's evil." But the, the law literally says if you don't defend trademarks, you lose them. I mean, there's things that happen as a company that are morally, uh, you know, I, I don't say reprehensible, but you know, they, no sane person would do them. But because of the way laws are written. And if they don't enforce the App Store agreement as written, uh, I mean, they obviously have discretion, but if they don't enforce it as written, it becomes very hard to enforce it the next time when maybe it is, and like maybe they catch a new social network literally stealing everyone's data and they want to pull their license. And the lawsuit says, well, you didn't pull Epic's license, so why are you going to pull ours? This is obviously not fair dealing. So you have to always look at these things in terms of companies, not individuals. Right. And the pear-shaped license one is maybe a good example. Actually, it's maybe it's a bad example, and that's what makes it a good example, where the logo really isn't confused with the Apple logo at all, right? Like the way I say it is it would be a problem if a company uh, said to their designer, okay, we want a pear logo. Make it look like the Apple logo, but a pear instead of an apple. And there's different ways you could interpret that basic art direction, but however it came out, if they did a good job, you could say, well, that's something Apple needs to sue to defend. The logo we're talking about with this pair company is not that at all. It does not. So looking at the two logos, I think most reasonable people, including me, would say Apple didn't need to go after this company. But you can see how somebody in Apple legal who's looking after their interests and their job and the company's interests would say, 
anything even vaguely involved with computers and a piece of fruit and a leaf on top, we're going to say you can't do it. I disagree, but it's not like out of left field, right? It's not like and it's not even that. Like it's it's not like they're suing them. They're just filing an objection, right. and the person who gets the objection will just say, "No, you're out of your minds." But, but you did defend it because they filed the objection, right? Um, whereas with this, with the the guidelines, that's you know you're you're way you know the, whoever filed that for Apple Legal is way out on the edge of protecting their Apple logo trademark. Yeah. Apple saying we're going to remove your, we're going to cut you off from the Apple Developer Program is again, it's not an obscure violation. It is a direct assault yes. on the nature of it. And if they want to be able to do that for other reasons, I think that they might have to do it here. And if they didn't do it, like what else could they do? What else could Apple do in the interim while this lawsuit is being fought? And I will say, I'm by all accounts, both sides, there is no indication that Epic needs to um, drop their lawsuit. Apple isn't saying yeah. you have to drop your lawsuit or, or else we're not letting you, you were canceling your developer agreement. They're, all Apple is saying that they have to do is submit a new version of Fortnite that complies with the guidelines, meaning takes out their payment processing and all's good. Meaning all's good, you can continue with your lawsuit. You can yeah, sue absolutely. Apple and be in the App Store. So it's they're not that spiteful, right? What else could Apple do if they don't threaten to take the the developer license away? I guess what they could do is just kit, not just take Fortnite out of the store, but make Fortnite stop working on installed yeah, devices. Just Fortnite instead of the license overall. I mean, yeah. But does that mean then that they take away? You know, that's I think where you're going is. Does that mean that in future cases with other companies where they really want to take away? their developer license agreement, does it set a bad precedent where the company can say, well, the last time they just kicked the app out? Yeah, I mean, precedent is everything. That's why, like, like I, I'm, I'm not saying the pair thing wasn't ridiculous. It was, but it's pro forma. It, like, and I'm not saying that this is a huge threat to the business, but it like, everything is based on precedent. And if it says in the agreement, this is what happens 28 days after you do that, this is what happens 28 days after you do that. And if you start not doing those things as a company, you're setting a precedent that in, in who, who knows what egregious case comes up next, it gets litigated saying, well, Your Honor, they didn't do it in these three other cases. Why are they doing it now? They're being punitive. Right. And it gets to the nature of the word anti-competitive, which is weird. Uh, ben Thompson's been mentioning lately that the, the, the case with Qualcomm brings up the term, yes. the difference between anti-competitive and hyper-competitive, which is interesting. But the thing about anti-competitive is that in a lot of sense, when, whenever we bring up anti-competitive, what you're really also talking about is just being competitive. Yes. You know, anti-competitive behavior and competitive behavior is often the same thing, right? And it's not really anti-meaning the opposite, like anti-competitive is sort of like socialist, communist. Everybody, you know, uh, you know, everybody hold hands and share collectively yeah. in the common good for everybody, right? <laughs> or you're a legal monopoly, like some cable companies are, where you you give up some form of regulation in in exchange for owning a market, right? Anti-matter and matter just cancel each other out. Anti-competition yes. and competition aren't opposites, really. Um, and so, what do you if you're saying that Apple shouldn't shouldn't Yank or put the kill switch on Fortnite and disable Fortnite on all the phones that are out there, and they shouldn't revoke their developer cert. Well, then what? What should they do? There's nothing. There is nothing left. What they just sit and take it and let Fortnite 
completely flagrantly violate the terms of the agreement for and then when the next app does does it what can they do then because they just right. said they're not going to do anything when Fortnite did it so like every game like right. the, like the company that owns farm like facebook owns farmville and the company that owns candy crush king i think it is they will just switch to the same thing immediately well like, would they i don't know because you know then the lawsuit gets settled and it's settled in apple's favor and all of a sudden there's a reckoning for all of these yeah, companies no. i guess yeah no but, fair point but i mean it's like it's it's hard to have someone it's like right. basically it's occupy wall street for the app store at that point yeah but anybody who does want to take their chances the way epic is it would certainly be free game for it so i don't know i don't think it's uncalled for for apple to do it i think it's actually just shows how reckless it was in the first place for epic to wage the battle this way. They certainly could well, have... They could have pulled Fortnite, right? Like, they could have done that instead. Right. They could have just said, we're not going to put Fortnite on iOS devices until Apple changes their policy. And if you're upset about that, here's Apple's communication numbers. Right. Well, or the the far less dramatic... Well, all right. So they could have pulled it. And then that disrupts all of the customers, the mutual yeah. customers of Fortnite and iOS. Which, again, I don't want to lose them in you're in my discussion of this, right? Like Apple and Epic and the courts can sort of omit them as best they can or use them as pawns to only make their side of the argument. But let's just face it, you know, people who like playing Fortnite on their devices should get to keep playing Fortnite. And right now they are. They get to keep yes. playing Fortnite. And it is still hosted in the App Store. Yes. Um, so if you reset your iPhone or get a new iPhone and need to re-download Fortnite, it's there. I got it on my phone, even though I never had it because my son had it and we have family sharing. And so I could go to the app store, uh, purchased a family member, Jonas, yeah. and then find Fortnite and I got it. So it is still there. And it's the version that has the, you know, against the rules payment processing. Um and it's That's, hard to make the anti-competitive argument specifically with games because uh, you know people will say there's no choice, but games are games. We you, we were making that point earlier. You can play Fortnite on Android. You can play it on Xbox. You can play it on PlayStation. You can play it on Switch. There are m- several markets available to to uh, Epic for selling Fortnite. They don't. And then one of the best ways to Again, it, it does hurt the customers who want to play it specifically in iOS. But in a traditional market, if you're not happy with the terms of one store, you go to the other stores, and hopefully, like that's what Apple did with Verizon. Verizon wasn't happy with their terms. They sold so many phones on AT and T. Verizon came begging for an iPhone. Right, uh, and again, that's competition. You know, yeah. and again, I, I'll make the point. I would go on the side. There is this the sense that. The Xbox Game Pass thing is anti-competitive on Apple's part because it uh, is uh, blocking Microsoft from doing this thing that Microsoft wants to provide and that a lot of iOS users want to use. But in another sense, it's extremely competitive because now if you care about playing Xbox Game Pass games on your phone, there's a huge new competitive reason to buy an Android phone instead of an iPhone. Absolutely. So in a sense, it's competitive. Um, yeah, absolutely. But in terms of blaming me, ultimately blaming Epic for the putting Unreal Engine at risk and not blaming Apple for saying that come August 28th, if you haven't fixed this, we're going to cancel, sever your, your developer account. They're the ones who decided to open this by flagrantly violating the rules of the store with a Trojan horse implementation yeah. of the feature. The way that they could have done this and had the same lawsuit is submit the app 
on the up and up with that feature fully exposed, have App Store tap through and say, whoa, this is against the rules. No, no way. You, I don't know what you were thinking. You cannot put your own payment in here as an alternative. It's rejected. File the lawsuit because the app was rejected. And there you go. You've got yeah. your lawsuit. You, tr- you submitted the app with the feature on the, on its face so that Apple could see it. They rejected it. You can make your case publicly that this would have allowed them to pass 20% or 30% savings onto the, you know, users. Um, and Apple would have no grounds to cancel their developer license agreement. Not only, I don't think Apple would do it. They, they, I don't believe there'd be any grounds for them to do it according mm. to the terms. It's all Epic's own doing. They gave Apple the ability to do it. So I think that the people who think Apple is being a bully in this regard, well, it's Epic who's the one who started it by doing something that they knew would open the door to it. And it, it's reckless that, reckless behavior as the platform uh, provider for yes. Unreal Engine. Yeah, and I think that goes to a lot of the motivation behind this because I think it really was really well planned. Like they, People have asked why they're not suing Xbox or PlayStation or Switch because, again, 30% is the industry standard. And you can say, like Tim Sweeney will say, it's because he believes that those platforms sell hardware at cost or a loss and also do better partnering deals with big studios so they better earn their 30%. And again, that's that's something that people can rightfully argue about. Uh, also, Sony owns 1.4% of Epic, Tencent owns 40% of Epic, and Tencent wants their own stores as well. Microsoft, um, they made up famously, and Nintendo licenses the Unreal Engine, so they don't have a normal developer platform relationship with Nintendo. But beyond that, I think they know that under current U.S. law, and I don't know about the EU, but under current U.S. law, they would probably lose because there's no duty to deal. You, it's very hard to force a company um, to to do business that they don't want to do. So they would probably law, lose a lawsuit under the current laws. But there is so much scrutiny. Uh, you know, Tim Cook and Sundar Pichai and everybody just testified in front of Congress. And there is so much uh, momentum towards the regulation, the breakup, the the involvement in the tech industry, that if you wanted a story to slap down in front of Congress that would hurt Apple and probably help you, this is sort of like I always try to look at the end result and then reverse engineer how I get there. And that to me seems like what Epic wants out of this is to change the game enough that they can become part of it. And I think from that lens, this is a good strategy for them. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I think it is good. And if in, in broad terms, are you saying that in terms of their battling this out in the court of public opinion? Yeah, I think it yeah. also, yeah, I think because I don't think they'd win a lawsuit, but I think that, they, that they're creating a huge controversy that plays into the idea that people who are technologically illiterate will eventually be able to regulate companies like Apple. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that sort of gets lost and again, I don't want to teach a high school civics course, but <laughs> it, you know, the judicial branch of the government is a lot less political than again, and yeah. it's very political, but it's less pol- political than the legislative branch, who are literally elected politicians. And the court of public opinion doesn't hold any sway in a court of law, right? Like yeah. if you don't have the law, you got nothing to argue about when you when you're arguing, you know, this case legally. Um, 
when you're arguing, there's before, no jury to nullify in these kind of courts. It's literally like a judge sitting there looking at you. Right. But when you're arguing before Congress, the way things yeah. should be holds a lot of sway because what Congress can do is write laws. Yes. The way they should be, right? The, you know, and again, it's you know, we have a whole discussion that yeah, well, there's certain judges have certain perspectives and they interpret laws in different ways, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not you can't remove. It's not absolute that Congress is completely political and the judicial branch is not. But the court of public opinion arguments definitely have more sway when legislators and regulators are involved, not judges. Um, where do you think it's going? I, I think I'm a little surprised it hasn't happened yet, but I expect I expect Fortnite to have an update that removes the the yeah. thing. They'll say Epic will say, "Look what Mean Apple, the monopolist, forced us to do, and now everybody on iOS has to pay the higher prices for V bucks." Which again aren't legal arguments at all; they're completely court of public opinion arguments, but they're good ones. You know, they work. They certainly work for Fortnite players. Um, but that they'll do that, and then for, for Fortnite players who aren't paying attention, the only way they even knew about it is that they maybe they saw the video when they launched Fortnite. Because I don't know if anybody else knows that, but I did. I found it amusing that 1984 style video actually yep. is like the startup video now when you launch Fortnite. <laughs> yeah, they, they they made it in game, and they, yeah. I mean, they wanted to they wanted to weaponize the Fortnite audience against Apple, which well, is part they, of their strategy. But they show it, they even show it on all the other platforms. I, I didn't yeah. try it on the other, I tried it on Switch and I tried it on Android and you I see it. I think they on, had an in-game debut for it as well. Yeah, it's it's in, yeah, it's in-game in, on Switch and Android, uh, an anti-Apple message. It's almost I, like they have monopoly control over the Fortnite market. Yeah, <laughs> I found it amusing. Um, I don't know where it's going to end up. I don't know. Um, but I do think uh, the other point I'll point out though is I think that okay they they picked their targets they picked Google and Apple and I think they are juicier public court of public opinion targets but if they were to win and you never know how these things will turn out in court right yeah. look at Qualcomm which had like a terrible you know uh, you know like you're an anti competitive monopolist who broke the law they appealed and the appeal was like three to zero who said no nope, nope that's all wrong right so. You know, I don't know. Skipping the well, argument. One of the fascinating things is those Qualcomm lawyers who almost always fight against antitrust are now fighting for it. They're the same <laughs> lawyers that Epic hired to fight for it for them. If this goes to a judge, you don't know how it's going to turn out. Um, but if it turns out more in Epic's favor than Apple's, uh, I I would be shocked if they don't. Epic doesn't turn around and then use it against Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo. Not maybe not in a quite the same way because, as you mentioned, they have partnerships with those companies, yeah. but. It gives, you know, uh, I think in terms of getting, trying to get the Epic Play Store on those platforms, they're definitely going to use it if they win some kind of everything came up Millhouse Epic judgment. Why wouldn't they, right? They can say, screw our previous arrangement, screw your 1.4% ownership of our company. We want the Epic Store on PlayStation 5, yeah. and you have to do it because here's the, here's the law. Here's our precedent. Yeah. Here's our precedent. I think what's interesting to me is – um I did a community poll on my YouTube channel because I wanted five options and Twitter only allows for four because I wanted like, <laughs> I think Apple's right. I think Epic's right. I think they both have points figured out. I think they're both dumb. Just stop it. And also, honestly, I have way bigger problems in 2020 than this. Um, and people would assume that my audience is super pro Apple, but with the Microsoft 
Xbox streaming, some people did say, you know, it's Apple Store, they can do what they want, but almost everybody thought that Apple was being stupid and wrong about it. Like, it wasn't even close. Nobody's affinity for Apple stopped them from thinking that it, it wasn't dumb for Apple to block Xbox streaming. But here, like, 40, 41% of people are on Apple's side, 18 on Epic's, 17 think that they're both right, 3% think they're both wrong, and 20% think there are way bigger problems in the world right now. So it's like it, it's one of those things where I, I think Epic had a good initial strategy, but they made some mistakes along the way that took away the momentum. Like I think the Google lawsuit was one of those mistakes, and just uh, them tweeting so much I think was one of, or, or just being so overly communicative. It's like a, a friend of mine, Devin, who runs the Legal Eagle channel. He just keeps saying like, "Stop talking, you know, just don't talk." That's why you have a lawyer. And they really, I think, should stop talking, but. I think your assessment is is spot on. The best thing they could do right now is to put the game back and say that Apple forced them to do it, gin up more negative sentiment against Apple, try to litigate it in the courts where they may not win, probably won't win, but then go full on at uh, Congress and the EU because no, the EU and Congress have both shown a, a massive under misunderstanding of how tech works. Right. And I, I bring this up as an example, but you look at the... The browser ballot from Microsoft, famously, they wanted to help out Opera and Slepnir and these other browsers, which now we have like two and a half, two and a fork rendering engines left. Like it's just, it's decimated the browser industry. And I don't think it'll do better for the app industry. I think we'll get results that all of us look on thinking, why did we let this happen instead of doing anything we can to stop it? Do you think that, it, do you think, it's interesting. To to look at that decision and the 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 conquest of the browser market by uh, Chrome and the Blink Engine, um, do you think without that, if Microsoft were as free as ever or as free as Apple is with iOS to have their default engine in the default browser, that uh, that Edge would still be using a? You know, I'm not so sure that that would have stopped Chrome's rampage over windows as the default browser no but i I don't think it helped opera and i don't think it helped like i don't think it achieved what they want like the same way like the ebook case where now amazon has 83 percent of the ebook market i don't think that helped necessarily it was a it was a huge distraction that didn't actually help the fundamental notion that we in theory would be a lot better with a healthy market of multiple rendering engines for the web and no matter what we seem to do or try, <laughs> we get down. Like to you look two. at Firefox these last couple of weeks, and Gecko's not. I mean, who knows? All right. Um, yeah. And the last thing, just one thing I wanted to add too is that sure. I really do mean that that Epic is not the Batman that we want or need. Because like, if you just, I would have more confidence in Epic if you if if they ran their store better, if they ran their store the way they wanted Apple to. There are still ongoing lawsuits, including Carlton from the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Over Epic, take like because Epic said that they want to they, they want to get rid of the intermediation. They want to let g- game creators sell directly to other gamers. They want to make sure that the people who do the work get the money. But at the same time, they're famously being sued for taking other people's stuff and selling it as like emotes and other things in the Epic Store and giving the creators zero money. Like they are, their behavior is more egregious than Apple in many of these circumstances. Well, and, and yet. I- it, it well, and it ties in too with the Xbox Game Pass, where there's the mature way to do it and the immature way. And the yes. sneaking this thing in as a Trojan horse is immature. It's good for me and you because it's a lot more fun to comment about as yes. a, a you know podcaster and a YouTuber and a writer. 
but it is clearly on its face a lot more childish behavior in yeah. terms of Xbox. You know, it's not like Xbox had a Halo game for iOS and then it got approved and then through an over the air update to the app, turned the Halo game into Microsoft Game Pass and there's a hundred games inside. And what are you going to do now, Apple? Right. Which would have been exactly analogous. You know, it's, I think, um, yeah, no, and every, like Netflix, I, I wasn't aware of this until I saw it yesterday, but Netflix is being uh, scrutinized because of the way that they, people are actually saying that Netflix has a monopoly over Netflix content and aren't, uh, <laughs> aren't don't deal well with other creators and demand all the rights. And, right. and the same arguments are going on there. And I think there's just an upsell, upswell of independence and creator ownership um, that is surging. And I just want to be real clear that Epic does not represent any of that. So, like, I want the App Store to change. I think the App Store has to change. I think there's a whole conversation about what what the App Stores can do f- to be better for indie developers. This isn't that uh, at all. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's some it's some very interesting, striking, and very you know similarities because Xbox and Fortnite are all about games, and the Hey thing is interesting because it's about- and it's not even Spotify where they have to pay artists. Like, it's not like Epic is literally refusing to pay the people whose money they're making. It's an argument over who gets to keep all of the profits from casino-like businesses. Yeah, yeah. All right, Renee, that's, uh, that's uh, call it a wrap. I mean, we've got plenty more to go short on. Short episode? Yeah, <laughs> short episode. It's short year. <laughs> uh, everybody can, of course, find your fine work at YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash Renee Ritchie, right? Yes, sir. Channel, you've got you broke a, a uh, what'd you break on the the subscribers? I know you hundred thousand, hundred thousand subscribers. Yeah. We can make it a hundred and one thousand if everybody here subscribes. Uh, you're doing great work there. I don't know how the hell you make so many videos a week. I say it every time you're on, but uh, keep it up. You're doing good work. I appreciate it. And of it. course, Thank on you. Twitter, same handle, Renee Ritchie. Uh, keep up with you there. Uh, my thanks to our sponsors. Uh, backwards order, Raycon. Wireless earbuds, feels, CBD, uh, delivered right to your door. And, of course, Squarespace, make a new website. Um, talk to you soon, Renee. Thank you, John.